Blog Talk Radio. The Net Live is brought to you by the Spire Institute, integrating sports and education, training and learning, performance and competition like no place on earth. SpireInstitute.org. Now, on with the show. that time, we have the people. This is Eric from Moana. This is Priscilla Lima. This is Casey Patterson. The story in real time. We're a much better team now than we were then. I'm not looking at just this year, I'm looking at the next four years. You're listening to The Net Line with Barney. You didn't win, so you must not have done a good job. And DJ Ruscha. I have a great thighs. It's The Net Live right now. <laughs> I love what Casey Patterson brings us into a show, and he's had a good week. I like that combination. You like the boom. I do like the boom. Welcome to the boom. Welcome to the Net Live, ladies and gentlemen. Kevin Barnett sitting in the home court with DJ Roche, who you just heard at the controls once again. He's got two computers, 400 feet of cable, and a whole bunch of buttons right in front of him, but he has it all figured out. And next to me, uh, madly looking through volleyball results because he's been on vacation in Puerto Vallarta all week, Dustin Aval. I'm back. And then uh, there's a, a headset that I think is actually unmuted. It's on the uh, the couch. So does that mean the couch is going to speak? The couch, yeah, the couch was supposed to speak, but it was supposed to have a gold medalist on it. And I don't know huh. where that gold medalist uh, is. Maybe he's caught in traffic between here and Huntington Beach. Did he finally realize that he's not on the intro? So he's like, maybe I won't show up. I was hoping that he would notice that right now, but he probably didn't even he didn't even get that because he's not here. So gotcha. we're hoping that Reed Pretty will show up eventually. Welcome to this week's show. We've been punting the last couple of weeks. We've kind of made it through a time where there's virtually nothing happening, right? Virtually nothing going on. Yep. Now, I think we're finally coming into a time where we'll have something to report on. Ooh. World League coming up. World League actually already underway in some places, but World League starting this week in the United States is going to be in Wichita, Kansas. So if you are anywhere in the storm-ridden Midwest of the United States. First, be careful. First, be careful. Yeah. Jeez. Secondly, come to the ball. match. Yeah. Come to the match. Wichita State, they have had a couple of great crowds. This will be the third time we've been to Wichita. And by we, you will be there. You mean, I will yeah. be there, yeah. Love it. Well, we, in this case, refer to me and the national team. Correct. Since I'm not, no longer on the national team. We will be in Wichita, the entire traveling circus that is World League, for the third time this weekend. And it should be fantastic. USA versus Argentina. Just looked up yesterday, so I know who I have to know something about this week. Uh, USA-Argentina, first weekend, should be extremely exciting. Argentina, good young team. The United States, we're going to find out if they're a good young team. We know that they are definitely a young team. They're young. No question about that. So that's getting underway. We also had Brazil this past week, FIVB. And how about Casey Patterson? Casey Patterson has won more prize money in the last three weeks or two months, let's say, than the last two years. Yes. He and Jake Spiker Gibb tearing it up, splitting thirty-five grand for second place at the top ten event there in Brazil. For like the third tournament in a row, or they won one. And they, they won, won one. Do they twice. have a gold and two silvers? Is that what it is? I think that's right. Only three events. For some reason, I feel like there was a fourth, but I think 
And Casey Patterson, at this point, just they raining win. dollars all over the living room, throwing them on cash. Did they win the first tournament that they were in? No, Phil and, Phil and Rosie won, okay, yeah. won one. And then they won one in two seconds. Lots right. of diaper money for my man, Casey Patterson. Not bad at all whatsoever. No, he's doing okay. I looked at the prize money for that last event. It's 50K to the winners, 35 to second place. That'll they got do. lucky to get into this finals. They needed some help from Norway, I believe. Norway, not so reliable for help in the volleyball world necessarily. Correct. They uh, weren't going to get out of pool uh-huh. and needed Canada to lose. Casey Patterson posted that oh. it was the toughest two minutes of his life. He went from being depressed to excited and will now celebrate Norway on that date for the rest <laughs> of his life. Is what he said. <laughs> Every year he probably has a flag. Maybe he'll send them money every once in a while in the mail. The but, Norwegians. Yes. Good for them. We will have, I'm sure, more chatter about that event as well as Lauren Fendrick is going to come on. The litigator, the long arm of the law. The gavel. The gavel. Yeah. Fendi, however you want to call her. Well, she's off to a, an early season start here with uh, a couple of different partners. She played with Nicole Brana in two tournaments, and now she just finished up a tournament uh, in Corrientes a couple weeks ago with uh, Brittany Hochaver. Hochaver. I got it right. Yeah, Britt. Gosh, finally. Jeez. I'm sorry, Britt. I know we had her on here on the show, and I couldn't get it right. It's just all over myself. Had her on the show, asked her to say it. We're like, okay, we'll never mess it up ever again. Didn't, and now you didn't still... Matter at all. Full panic every time you say it. Hochaver. I think I finally came up with a phonetic that will work. H O E dash C H A Y dash V E R. Okay. Because it's not even easy to do in phonetically. No, it's not. Hochaver. Hochaver. Just okay. keep saying it. Hochaver, Hochaver, Hochaver. Yeah. But Lauren's going to be on the show, not not even. That is correct. Yeah. Lauren Fender will be on the program. <laughs> you, know also, how to say her, right. you know how to say her name. Yeah. Also known as uh, Mrs. Bear. Yeah, Mrs. Fuller. <laughs> Mrs. Bear Fuller. So we'll have Lauren Fendrick on here in the program. Well, you know, we talked to her about kind of the early season, the way things are going. Of course, she had a, a good year last year uh, playing in some domestic tour events as well as FIVB, I believe. Go back and look at her 2012. Yeah, they beat uh, – they had a, a decent run in Corrientes. Corrientes. Yeah. I think they may have gotten out of the pool and then lost, but they, they beat a good team. They went 2-2. Two and two. I believe I saw her in her Twitter feed. I think they got a 17. Yeah. But uh, beat a good team, lost to a couple that maybe they felt they could have won. Yeah. I believe that's her first time playing with Britt as well in a tournament. It looks like first time. Yeah, Of course, she played with uh, Brooke Niles last year, Rachel Scott uh, throughout last season, finished, uh, at least on Jose Cuervo, finished uh, second, third, fifth, third, and second. So, I mean, pretty good year on Jose Cuervo last year. Played one NVL tournament and then played a whole bunch of FIVB. Finished well with Nicole Branagh last year. Took a fourth place in that Thailand event at the end of the year. That occurred in October. Uh, but uh, Lauren Fender. Yeah, Fendi Niles was definitely the duo last year. Of course, Brooke now, uh, mother of little Gunner. Gunner. I love that name. That's perfect. So she is perfect for them. So Gunner and Cash, best best two kid names in the volleyball world right now. Guy. guy. Yep. Yeah, guy, guy Patterson. Guy. guy Patterson, too. Guy. What's up, Guy? Guy and Cash. Cash and Guy. Yeah. Guy Cash. Cash a lot guy. of Guy Cash around the Patterson house now. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But then I did see Fendi and Nicole practicing, I guess, earlier this, this season. Um, and Brittany was playing with Summer Ross, who we've spoken about on this show as one of the collegiate athletes that not only – 
changed universities to focus on the beach game, but then left Pepperdine and, and became a professional. Full on quit. Well, whatever. Retired. <laughs> Retired from a college career. Yeah. You know what, guys? I'm I don't out. get that decision. Yeah. I, I still don't understand that decision uh, on a personal level. Maybe you didn't like English class. I don't know. You just don't hear about that a lot, other unless you're a football player or a basketball player at a college. Like, you know what? I'm out, guys. Going pro. It and happens, though. Clay Stanley. It did not Anderson do that. Yeah. They Rarely. a lot more money to make internationally indoor. You would think so? I, I would know so. <laughs> I don't think there's a think about that one. I think we know the answer to that one. But hey, you got you to live your life. Do what you Not for do. Casey. Anyone heard from uh, Alex Jupiter lately? Ooh. Remember, she went to play beach exclusively. Haven't heard her name. Made that announcement. Anywhere. Never heard from her ever again. Yeah. We also didn't really look for her. So. Well, but her name would come up <laughs> if she was somewhere playing. I don't know. An odd situation. Hey, World League underway for the men. 2013 World League. And Pool C, the oh, only it's underway pool, already. That, well, Pool C started this past week. So Gary Sato, Sato, first action as head coach of Japan. Japan, that's correct. And uh, actually picked up an assistant coach. Oh, officially? Yeah, this past week. Anybody I know? A uh, guy from Pepperdine. So no. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't know Pepperdine guys. You and Dane Blanton. Anybody else? Come on. No. That's about it. That's yeah. What else do I need to know? Now, what if I said SC guys? Would you Would you then know Dustin Aval? That's all matters, really. Sujo. Yeah. Okay. Um, Does Gabe Gardner count? Who? Nah. <laughs> nah. Nah. Oh, Reed Pretty. I don't know who is Reed... that. Who's entering the building right yeah. now? Have I... No, David Hunt. We'll give David Hunt credit here before well, we get too you... far off track. David Hunt. There's an intruder in your house right now. I don't yeah. know if you recognize that guy. It was definitely an intruder. He didn't even bring anything. I said don't yeah. bring anything. He could have brought an iPad. He doesn't need to. He's, got, keys. he's <laughs> got his headset right there. Is the Ferrari outside, or did you park in the garage? The Ferrari. These are the fanciest things I've seen in the show. There you go. Yeah. Best investment ever. Look at that. Read pretty in studio, occupying the couch yeah. spot. See that, Dustin? Yeah. Upgrade. You're still here. I know. I'm at the table. I'm Gold medal on the couch. I got here early just so I could secure my spot. Before we really get into it, I have a very important question for Reed. Like since you have left, there you go. Oh, he's happy now. Yeah. Since you've left Turkey, things have been going awry over there. Is that because of you, or what's what's happening? Because his team didn't win. Yeah, I think uh, I think we left right in the uh, yeah. You know, at the right time. I mean, from all we're hearing, um, there's actually media blocks, mm-hmm. and so even the media that we're getting is still censored. We're not getting the full picture, is what you're saying. Right, and so there's some stuff on Facebook and some friends of ours out there. And, uh, you know how sometimes things happen and it looks a lot worse than it really is when you're there and people are, you know, are concerned about a particular area. I think in this case, uh, it is actually legit. as bad as uh, as it appears. I so. saw footage this morning of a guy in a suit in a briefcase trying to tell them, no, I'm going to work, and then they hosed him down. <laughs> no, bro, I'm going to work. Nah, we don't believe you. Yeah. With a hose? Oh, like full-on fire truck hose. Jeez. Yeah, not your average... Gardening hose outside. Yeah, and Reed previously was meeting with Turkish Parliament. Yeah, and then <laughs> fast forward no less than a month and put a call in. They've yeah. lost their American legislator, and all hell breaks loose. No doubt. Yeah. Exactly. It's not a coincidence. No. Uh, detail worldly, just for a moment here. 
Gary Sato in his debut with Japan, actually a pair of 1-3 losses to Korea, but Korea a good team in the Asian zone, and in match number two, pretty close, Korea 25-21, 25-23, and then Japan 25-11, then 25-22 for Korea. So Gary Sato, two losses, but two very close losses in those events. How has Japan seen uh, internationally in terms of rankings and with with and without Gary? Or before Gary, and then now is there a different view? Or where are they? You know, Japan's got to rebuild. Japan, and that's one of the reasons I think they went to a foreign coach for the first time ever, is that they have some issues. Their national team has not performed at the level that they would like to see, and certainly, I think, from my opinion, for the health of volleyball, the, the level that the the world of volleyball would like to see. Yeah. If Japanese volleyball is healthy. That pretty much means you're playing a lot of big events there. There's great TV coverage, great accommodations. All those things are going to happen. So I, I would like to see Japan be better. But they, they just have to find a way to get the athletes and, and train. And maybe the Japanese system of we're going to come in two hours early, spike balls for an hour and a half, then we're going to play the match, then we're going to spike balls for another hour and a half. That might not be working in today's modern change environment. That. Change yeah. that. So it'll be interesting to see and follow Gary and the changes he makes there. Reed, do you think it'd be, it's good if Japanese volleyball is good? I think it's great. I mean, they're one of the few federations that pour money into the sport and constantly host tournaments. Uh, you know, in my experience uh, in Asia, especially in my time in Korea, uh, the big knock uh, against uh, those two teams is that their size, they're just really right. small. Uh, but I would argue that the way they train is really a, a hindrance uh, because uh, when, when we were there, we would be siding out uh, against no team. And so here you've got these smaller guys that oh, they're just spiking against no one, spiking against no one, and the, the feedback. So so each guy had to hit in whatever rotation. So you have four hitters. The middle had to put a ball away. The outside had to put a ball away. And and the feedback that the coach that you knew that you hit a good ball was if you bounced it. <laughs> and so here you are. So Jason Ring, national hero. Yeah, yeah. statues okay. everywhere. And then they get into a game and wonder why they're getting you know Roofed. absolutely housed off the court. <laughs> Because you know their 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 technique is basically completely terrible for uh, so so they're not using the size that they have so you yeah. know they're not able to um, I don't know exploit how good they are at ball control and how they could with that ball control run an extremely intricate fast offense uh, but again they're just trying to hit the ball you know way too straight. Down. Are they a young program? Because that sounds like something. Like, who hasn't played ball before? Oh, I just want to go out and crush balls. Japan or Korea? Japan, yeah. No, storied programs. Very good in the 60s and 70s. So then why are they just bouncing balls then? Probably still know. holding on to those same, that same strategic uh, advantage they had in the 60s, I imagine, whereas the rest of the world has changed quite quite so a bit. The, game, the game's changed a lot. The players have gotten bigger. The offenses have now become as fast. So you take what used to be a fast Japanese or Korean offense, Except you're doing it with guys who are six nine instead of six three. Yeah, it probably has something that to do with problem. cultural pride too. You know, like the I think uh, there's a certain rigidity. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, to, to change word. there. Big word. It's not a big word. It just has a lot of syllables in it. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite stories was from uh, Sean Rooney's team, and uh, I mean, when we talk about not letting go of uh, past ta- tactics. Uh, they lost the game, I guess, and the coach was upset at the setter. And, you know, after after the game, uh, they're in the locker room, and apparently they're in a half circle, you know, hands behind their back, and the coach is just railing the team. And, you know, as he passes the setter, he slaps him in the face. Whoa. And continues to rail. And Sean said he was just sitting there looking like, okay, 
let's go team. Are we going to do something here? <laughs> I mean, and uh, can you imagine that happening uh, here uh, in North America? A coach just not happy with, with the way the setter's playing and uh, taking a few slaps to the face. I think we saw Mike Rice of Rutgers yeah, do it exactly. just yeah. uh, this past year. And we actually, there's a huge volleyball connection that we touched on last week with Julie Herman that we'll get back to later with Rutgers. But yeah, there, there's some, some wild cultural differences when you play in these places. I've never seen anybody get slapped. <laughs> but I've seen some funny stuff. That, that one takes the cake. Saw Sean Opportunity down there on Thursday. I was in practice with the men's national team. Did Rooney he speak, said he's, did he speak to you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Sean Rooney back to spiking balls, which is good. Nice. Glad he's uh, he's back in the gym hitting, and uh, you know he had shoulder surgery. He was off for the year. Talked to one Claytonian Stanley. Still looking <laughs> rather large. Good. Uh, but not playing. Nope. No. Still. Uh, he still, didn't play overseas this past. He did not. He did not. Still recovering, but it looks like he's in great shape. Just kind of still struggling with the knee, and uh, I'm familiar with that set of circumstances. Uh, lots of other guys. We interviewed eight guys. Went through a bunch of young guys, Reader. We talk, we didn't talk to you. We didn't talk to Dave Lee blew us off. Big time. Yeah, just big time. <laughs> just said, hey, I'm Dave Lee. I got stuff to do. I got a massage. Did you record any of these conversations? Yeah, the, the audio is coming. We no, will have it hopefully by next week. Good man. Uh but, yeah, Dave Lee, we got off schedule because when Brian Thornton was a little bit behind. And uh, and so we ended up behind, so Dave Lee said, no go. He's like, I'm out. Yeah, which is okay because the room we were interviewing people in, it literally was 95 degrees inside. <laughs> Maybe not 95. It was a solid 85 and muggy. Not sure why. Then we put them under the hot lamps. So especially the young guys, real warm at nice. the end. Nice. Uh, Kavika Shoji, talked to him. I uh, talked to Brian Thornton. Had uh, who else? Who else we have in there? I'm trying to think offhand. We had John Spraw in for a while. Uh, Matt Anderson was in there. Uh, it was eight interviews back to back to back. Nice. And I got a, a note from my director and producer and said, uh, try and keep those interviews, those questions, those sound bites uh, foremost in your mind. I'm like, uh, which part? Yeah. It was 20 <laughs> minutes with eight guys. Which? Yeah, I've got it all right here. <laughs> right, take notes, Kevin. I will Jeez. call it right up. Be a professional. Yeah, uh, I talked to Dave Smith. Mm-hmm. I was trying to think of the middle blocker we had in there. So uh, some of the guys you're going to see, I, I think, this week in Wichita. Should be exciting. So we had two setters in there. It'll be interesting to see how those guys get used. Uh, word has it that uh, Brian Thornton is playing well and Kavika Shoji is playing well. So for me, the proof's in the match. I said before on the show, I have the luxury of not seeing practice. Correct. I don't see every day, oh, he's having a great training block. He's really doing a good job. Great. He gets to the match. He's terrible. So you can have a terrible training block, play well in the match. I'll take that over the other one. So we'll see how these guys do when it comes down to uh, time to play Argentina. You're a good man. Oh, thank you. Just That's where know. I was going. I was fishing for that. <laughs> Read pretty thoughts on the training environment that you've been in for the last couple of weeks here, guys. Uh, off to Wichita already, or you're just out of practice. They leave Wednesday or something. Uh, I think they leave Wednesday. Um I reached out to both Kavika and Matt, and it's uh, they might try. They're going to try their best to call in. Okay, a little uh, bit later. A li- yeah, a little bit later. But they're uh, they're in these uh, different groups right now, moving from passing to agility to weight. And you know, speaking of the culture, I think I talked about it with you guys last week. It's uh, it's a professional environment. It's a full day's work, and uh, very detail oriented in terms of uh, you know you talk about both those setters. Um, and other guys that are in the gym as well, Ryan Ammerman and uh, Kyle from UCLA. Caldwell? Caldwell. Um, 
and so those guys are working real closely with Mike Seeley and um, trying to get this fast offense uh, up and going. And, and the thing that's really refreshing for me is that there's a complete 100% commitment to this system. Uh, it's not thrown out just uh, in the first day uh, because it's not working, you know. And yeah, get that, out. That's usually what happens, you know. And, I, and I'll I'll admit that, you know, I'm a hitter who who likes um, range, and so speed doesn't offer range. And if a uh, you know fast offense puts all the pressure basically on the setters, and uh, and so there's a real commitment in the gym by John and the staff. Hey, this is the direction we're going. You need to be on the correct foot, and the setters we're we're putting all our chips. Uh, in those guys' hands, and, and we believe that they can do it. And so uh, with that sort of commitment, there's no gray area in terms of roles and in terms of expectations, and I think that's incredibly healthy, especially when you have these types of athletes. Sounds like uh, not only are there strategic and tactical differences, but just the entire work ethic, the approach that has already been seen by the new staff is is already you know leaps and bounds ahead or different than, than what the previous uh, regime may have been focused on. Is that fair to say? That's totally fair. I think, uh, I think it's totally different. And, um, like I said, it's refreshing. Uh, I think what Matt brings, you know, Matt has a uh, history as a player for bringer, Matt for assistant Furbringer. coach, assistant coach. And, um, He's also run his own club now for a lot of years, married to Joy Furbringer, and I just feel like he's got this incredible administrative gift. Uh, and, and that sort of framework allows, I think, John to come in and 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 not be burdened with uh, the sort of admin work that I think maybe Alan was burdened with uh, last quad. I mean, there, he was wearing a lot of different hats and, and maybe, um, you know, the, the various roles within his particular staff uh, might not have alleviated uh, as much as as I think John is getting, and and you know John, that's the benefit of having a coach who's been around for the last couple quads. You know when he enters in the quad, even though he was hired, you know I don't know a month ago, he's seen it. He had a clear vision of what needed to take place and what he needed around him to uh, to make that happen. Good to know with Matt Furbringer's club experience that you guys will have orange slices available between <laughs> matches. <laughs> Between sets, <laughs> you say that facetiously, but we but yeah, literally but have orange slices. I orange <laughs> Smart by them. Um, can I ask a question about faster offense and slow offense? Obviously, I don't come from the indoor side, so that doesn't. Please ask. I understand, like you can you can still quick bat a quick fastball. Tempo. Yes. I can still launch it into the stands. Is yeah. What you're saying. Yeah. So faster offense, like it's coming out of the setter's hands quicker. He's making. How does it have to do with the pass? Correct. The ball is more is flat. Yeah, instead oh, of okay. setting the ball up this way and then it, you know it, it peaks and then you're hitting it over here, the ball is flat, basically set on a line, and you as a hitter have to pick it off. Gotcha. You see, like like Tony Chiarelli is one of the guys that in college hit like the fastest ball to the pin that I've ever seen. It's almost like a, a set to the middle, but if you keep that trajectory all the way out to the pin. Got it. And so the timing, as Reed was saying, is way more important because you don't have as much time to adjust. You don't, you know, you got to be everybody's on on a timing set like the middles usually are. But right. now you're doing it from 10, 15 feet away if you're in the back row or something. Reed, I've accused you sometimes on air of of going too fast. <laughs> a lot. That sounded. Yeah. That, was, that could have gone you. a lot. That could have oh, gone a lot fine. of places. That's why. Yeah. yeah. But no, I, I said before when Donald was in there in particular a couple years ago. This is probably around 09 or 10 that you and Donald were almost too critical. 
Do you think some offenses have got to that point? Have you pulled back from that and what you said earlier that you want more range options than speed options? Because a while it seemed like you were hitting basically a three ball on the left. I think in 06 um, with Donald, that was like the most um, in sync I ever was with a setter. And, I mean, we were just dialed in one-on-one. I was hitting like 700 uh, on, you know, 20 points. Yeah. Uh, But we weren't winning as a team. And so uh, we sort of went away from that. And and so uh, when Donald sort of came back in the picture, um, I had gone off to Russia and really learned. I really was able to acquire range. And so once I had that range, it made no sense to me to limit that range when you're dealing with seven foot blockers. And so, um, you know, so it can get too fast. Well, it can get too fast if you're, if you're not committed to being fast. Uh, but with a system that's committed to being fast, then, um, that's, uh, I think there's a freedom in not being perfect, uh, you know, because, uh, you're not going to get every kill, but if you're completely committed to that step close, uh, meaning you're on your, your your right step and, and that, then it's going to work I think for the whole team and and that's what you're that's what you want as a team system but I had dinner the other night with uh, Jordan Larson from the women's team and we were talking about their approach uh, because they have a initiative to go very fast as well um, and I've glanced over at their courts a few times and they're running a very quick ball to the pins and that's what Karch is trying to implement as well but it's very interesting the different ways both programs are going about it John. Um, is measuring the hitter's step based on when the setter is touching it, whereas carts, it sounds like, is timing it. Hmm. So there's there's an actual clock, and you know when the setter touches the ball, there's X number of seconds that it needs to get to the pin. So it'll be very interesting to see. Interesting. Um, you know both you know both approaching it, uh, going after similar offenses in different ways. Jordan Larson, my favorite female volleyball player in the world right now. The way she hits her jump serve, the aggressiveness, love that. I was watching some outside hitting going on in the gym for a little while with the women's team down there on Thursday. Kristen Richards, I think Kristen Richards is going to have a huge year. If she hits anything like she was hitting there and not spiking straight down Korean style, but the quickness of her arm, her arm is almost unhinged from the rest of her body, which is really neat to see. You don't see that happen, particularly in the women's game, very much. Women's games, so often it's the whole body in this weird movement because there's not a true arm swing in a lot of these women, and for whatever reason. But her, Kristen Richards, she's up and she's fast, and she's just her arm almost looks like it's on a pinwheel. Nice. And just awesome. I think she's going to have a great year. She had a good year professionally. She's, she, she moves quicker with a different locomotion than a lot of the other women there. She looks stronger than before. She was always very lean, and, and now she looks kind of stronger, fitter. Um, more like a professional body, you know, a few years out of college and a professional volleyball player. And she, I think she's going to have a fantastic year, if that's any indication, uh, on the left-hand side there. We should get her on the show. She, uh, Kristen she's a, Hildebrand? Is she Hildebrand? Hildebrand, now? there you go. Don't she, be Richards Hildebrand. I will not <laughs> announce that. That's I'm, a long one. No way. She, She's a special individual. I don't think I've ever heard a negative word spoken about her, and it seems like she's tight with everybody. She's she smiles a, all the time. Yeah, she's a, she's a good person, and we should get her on the show. All right, we'll put down her name, Kristen Richards. Take notes, Kim. Yeah. Is this faster-paced offense the trend that seems to be going on around the world right now, or just coincidence that Been both going on. U.S. teams are doing? This fast? Um, you know, I don't think – I don't see a ton of other teams trying to – push the envelope this fast um and so 
uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens this quad, you know, as you're dealing with new coaches all around the world, uh, et cetera. But um, you still got to blend it with your personnel. Yeah. Clay Stanley's as, as Clay Stanley's adapted to a quicker ball, but there's no way Clay Stanley's going to hit a super fast going left. Mm-hmm. He's hit a faster ball nowadays than he used to, but just as an example, I mean, you still have those players around the world who are going to hit a different set. Yeah, see, that's the that's always the give and take. You yeah. know, do you are you going to lose something because Clay has the ability to hit a faster ball? He's going to lose some of that range that we're talking about. But when you're putting that sort of stress on the defense, you know, you know, when he's touching, he's in the twelve foot club, like I told you, and uh, he might not be there yet. Not right now, he's in the eleven seven club, <laughs> as he told me. Uh, but uh, I've been to that club. The other club is more exclusive. They have a big wooden door. Matt Anderson, twelve three, uh, <sighs> thinks he can go twelve five or so. Yeah, that's <laughs> ridiculous. Twelve three, boys. Jeez. What's the top of the antenna? Eleven. Eleven. That's it. Eleven. No problem. <laughs> Come on. I can spat you a ball over the yeah. antenna. You, your, that's this much over the antenna, Dustin. Get your necklace stuck on the top of the antenna. <laughs> Dangerous situation. How old is Clay yeah. now? How old is Clay now? He's 42. Probably, 42. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's uh, 35. Is that it? 35. Yeah, just 35. So I'm 39. You're <laughs> old. You're the oldest person in this room. Dang it. Congratulations. That's why you had Geeter on. <laughs> <laughs> the only redeeming value. You just wanted somebody older. That's right. McGee. I don't even, I don't even know what McGee's doing anymore. Got a daughter with a helmet problem. <laughs> she has no problem with helmets, I'll tell you that much. Well, she can't get it off. It's yeah. stuck on there. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Well, yeah, let's take a quick break. We're going to be back with Lauren Fendrick, the, the litigator, the gavel. I think we've asked her before to decide what name it should be, what lawyer volleyball name. And I think on the show it's the first time she ever heard it. Yeah. So it's our own little world here. Oh, that's fine. She's not a big fan of the show, I don't think. <laughs> She's a huge fan of the huge show. Huge fan of the show. I'm sure we'll talk more about Beach. We'll also talk a little bit about Julie Herman and that situation at Rutgers. She, she's getting some serious blowback, and there's a huge volleyball connection to that, those that have been reading the up on schools could be getting some serious blowback. I don't know. I don't know how you don't do enough vetting with the, the situation here. You have a bad situation. You hire someone who has two previous bad situations that deal with exactly the same sort of issues. I don't get that. I don't understand it. But then again, I'm not a politician. We should get Rutgers on the show. Yeah. <laughs> get Rutgers. Hello, this is Rutgers. All right, The Net Live on a Monday. We'll be right back with Lauren Fender.
me think of I Am Legend, Jeremy. That is a uh, remix of Three Little Birds that's coming on the, the remixing the loud, the Legends album coming out, I believe. In really? July. Yeah. Legends was like the album that everybody had. Right? right? Through a huge CD that everybody... Was everybody. Like, it was like the one that you included on your Columbia house ate for a penny. People were like, oh, do you like reggae? You're like, yeah, I have the Legends. Yeah, I have Legends yeah. and I have the Whalers yeah. who are alive. Yeah. yeah. So, and then you're good <laughs> to go. Reggae. Yep. <laughs> All right. Let's so let's get into it here, Jeremy, as I as I bring things back here. I don't know what that means. I know what get into it means. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> All right. Our first guest is out of UCLA, stands six feet two inches tall. If she can't beat you, she might just sue you. Out of Carlsbad and now Hermosa Beach. Been on tour, it looks like, since uh, 2003. Been playing AVP, been playing NVL, Corona, Cuervo, FIVB, anything that she can find to play in as a professional volleyball player. Played with a lot of the big names in the score. We mentioned Nicole Branna earlier. Had a great partnership with Brooke Niles and now plays with Brittany Hochaber. That's right, got it right again. But we want to welcome in... To our show again, Lauren Fedrick. Hello. Hi. Hi, Kevin. Thanks for, thanks for uh, giving us a call here this morning. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Hey, Jeremy. Hey, we wanted, we wanted to start off with kind of the early season here. You've been out playing some FIVB events. You played three FIVB events in a variety of places. And the travel schedule has been, let's say, a little challenging. Is that true? That's true, and, and usually it's the case for us Americans. We uh, tend to fly all over the place while the Europeans are, you know, complaining about have, not having uh, all their stops two hours from their hometown. So <laughs> we're used to it. Yeah, so you're in China and then in Shanghai and then Argentina. And you've gone through a couple of partners. Was this a planned situation? You played the first two tournaments with Nicole Branagh, and now you just switched to Brittany. 
you know, um, not no, not a planned situation. Um, obviously, not ideal. Um, but you know, was very excited to play with um, with Nicole for two tournaments, and now um, really excited about uh, playing with Brittany. Um, so, I mean, both great athletes, both great partners, and uh, I can't complain. Sandy, Dustin here. Wanted to get a little further into that partnership uh, question that Kevin just asked. And for some of the listeners out there, you've played with these women before earlier in your career. Is there uh, sort of a, a certain skill set that you look for in a partner being more of a blocker? you look for a defender? Do you look for, you know, a tough server or something like that? Yeah, you know, um, definitely uh, playing for a decade now that Kevin has pointed out, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I found that, um, especially internationally, finding someone who can side out really well is really important. Um, but then, yeah, being a blocker, um, I don't think I'm, I'm too shabby on defense, but I, I prefer at least definitely the split. Um, I think I am capable of doing that, but... Uh, Right now, there aren't a lot of blockers out there, so um, definitely looking for uh, someone to play defense behind me, I think. You had a great year last year, at least domestically, on the, the Cuervo Series, second, third, fifth, third, second. Uh, very successful. How disappointed were you this year to see the domestic situation collapse? Um, thank you. Uh, yeah, well, you know, it's uh, been a rough year for me as or actually a, a crazy couple of years for me also uh partner wise i've jumped around quite a bit the past uh year i guess after uh playing steadily for two years with brooke so it kind of feels similar to that situation where you know i'm playing with someone for a limited number of tournaments and then switching partners and you know playing for an unknown amount of tournaments uh so it kind of feels that way with the tours like there's a you know certain amount of tournaments and they 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 pop up here and there and and luckily I'm able to play internationally so um I can't imagine you know being a player playing domestically having to wait until you know July or August to play in a play in a tournament so it's, uh, it's really disappointing for uh for beach volleyball and um I think it will affect our play internationally as as a country um so hopefully we can recover quickly and uh, start developing more players. Lauren, now that uh, Brooke is a new mom, I'm, I'm sure there yeah. was some plan in terms of, um, you know, her taking some time off, although she is, if not the hardest worker uh, in the gym <laughs> and off the court and on the court uh, on any tour. She's one of the top. Is there plans to you know, reunite in a certain amount of time? Is it sort of indefinite? I mean, I had some of uh, my greatest finishes with Brooke, so I definitely um, have fond, fond memories of playing with her. And, uh, you know, childbirth is kind of a unpredictable, really hard experience from what I've heard. Um, so I I think that there's definitely a possibility for that. Um, and... Uh, We'll see how the future unfolds. You, you never, you kind of never know, you know. So um, right now I'm focused on my partnership with Brittany and uh, really excited about that. Um, 
but you never know what the future holds. So I'm definitely open to um, possibilities. We did have Brooke on the show earlier, and she was kind enough to send us a case of chocolate Zico. I know that you have um, perhaps some similar um, associations with Zico. I'll just <laughs> let, just you throw know, that out just there. Just put that out there. Mm-hmm. Just a subtle hint. So, whatever. You know, whatever you <laughs> Not feel. Not so subtle, but yeah, a hint, I think, from, from Dustin. Hey, we had a great question coming off the chat board, uh, Lauren. We, people may not know you're married to Andrew Fuller, and yes. and thank you for not going Fuller Fendrick or Fendrick Fuller so far, uh, hyphenation purposes for television. That's uh, a worst nightmare. But Matt Gardhoff wanted to know: Have you ever worn the bear suit? <laughs> God, no! I won't touch that thing. <laughs> <laughs> It's got to be sweaty in there. I don't. Is the bear suit launderable, or is this kind of a use until you can't use it anymore? Dry clean only. <laughs> you know, it's it's. Whenever I've asked that question, it's kind of always been skirted. So there's no oh. official answer on that. But uh, <laughs> I do know I it's just stored love, in a plastic bag in the closet. So I just would love to see you in a standing position with no hanger. I'd strangely. love to see Fuller bring that into the dry cleaner, just like. Do you have your ticket? Like, no, it's the bear suit, bro. Like, I'm the one that brought it the six foot ten inch bear suit. <laughs> no no yeah. ticket, no laundry. Sorry, <laughs> Lauren. That so you have been playing. You have been active for ten years on the tour. Have you at all started to look at perhaps what's next for you outside of volleyball? Has that been a consideration? Absolutely. Um, with the kind of state of everything, volleyball internationally, domestically, all the changes that are happening, um, it definitely makes one think about the future. And, um, you know, everybody's one injury away from from ending their career. But um, I think for me, definitely I'd like to use my uh, law degree just uh, in some sort of capacity that will uh, not, uh, you know, I'm not going to work. 80 hours a week, or I hope not. <laughs> I always say these things, and then I end up doing exactly what I say I'm not going to do. But, um, yeah, I'm, I mean, my goal is to make the Olympics and uh, start working after that. So that's that's the plan for now. But, um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Well, Kevin did share that uh, after graduating from, from UCLA undergrad, you, you know, righted your wrong. You went to USC and got your... <laughs> Law degree. Um, <laughs> with your <laughs> with your JD and, and being a part of the FIVB, um, uh, the board that the players were involved in. What can you share with us? Not only you know with your with your law background, but from just the beach volleyball as a player. What went on during those meetings and kind of the changes that are out there that are happening that have happened that sort of thing. Um, yeah, lots of changes with the FIVB. It's been a eye-opening, interesting, and uh, frustrating experience, to be honest. Um, communication simply is difficult between different, you know, English as a second language and English as a first language. is um, It's difficult to even communicate properly, and uh, a lot of politics going on. Um, they want to push control to the national federations, and this directly impedes players' rights. And as long as they continue to do that, um, the players are going to lose their rights. Um, 
they also want to grow the sport into other countries, which is an admirable, great goal. Um, but I think it needs to be balanced with the best teams in the world winning and competing. Um, so you got to find that balance. Right now there's um, issues with the point structure um, for continental tours, like things such as Norsecas and CEBs now have points for the FIVB, but they're weighted um, disproportionately t uh, compared to Opens and Grand Slams. Um, I believe it's right around a fifth of an Open if you win a, a Norseka. And then you also have the issues of the different continents uh, having a different number of, of events and it's kind of it's kind of a mess. It seems like no one uh, thought all these issues through, and uh, now we're left trying to kind of clean up the pieces. Um, I'm hoping that the FIVB will implement some sort of changes. Like for instance, now they have this national ranking system where I don't know if you've seen any of the uh, entry lists, but it, it takes a um, I don't know take some sort of mathematician to figure out <laughs> who's going to be in the main draw and why they're in the main draw and why they only have, you know, 300 points, but they're still in the main it's like, draw. It's like airline pricing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, Lauren, uh, you mentioned that you think players' rights are at risk as power gets pushed from the FIVB to the national organizations. What rights do you think are really at risk here? What things are going to be compromised? Well, I have a great example. Uh, Juliana... Harley, Benjamin, Marcio, all players from Brazil, but all players who want to keep competing, but they're not allowed to compete because their federation won't let them. So that's a pretty basic right, being able to play when you have enough points. And I think that's well, the biggest. Okay, you're bringing up Brazil, and I know Brazil has implemented a national beach coach system, a true indoor national team type situation to their beach teams. Is that is that correct? Yes. In, in a basic term. So now the coach and the organization are making the decisions about who is entered in tournaments and for the right. good of the, the national team. Uh, but that's kind of the way it is with, with most sports, is it not, where whoever the national organization is feels that the players or the teams with the best chance in their mind to meet their own goals, the national team's goals, they select the players. It's not up to the players to enter the tournaments. Uh uh, perhaps, perhaps that is uh, how it is in other uh, sports and organizations. Um, however, I think beach volleyball is almost like a individual sport, mm -hmm. having two, two, two people, and you have, for the FIVB, uh, at least four teams from that country competing against each other. So, in essence, you know, you're, you're not – really a team like, say, the indoor program where, you know, a coach kind of picks who's going to be the 12, pe 12 people on the roster, all those 12 people competing against another country as a team. It's it's different in that respect because you're competing against each other as teams. And, you know, I know for Juliana, I read an article that she said, you know, she felt she had the best coach, um, a training facility that had everything she needed that gave her the edge over, you know, the rest of her compatriots and uh, the rest of the world, which, you know, obviously she did a pretty good job at that if you look at her resume. And now she's being forced to, you know, submit to other coaches. She doesn't know when she's going to play, who she's going to play with, 
where she's going to play and, and, you know, what their ultimate goal is. And, and for athletes making this a career, um, it's, you know, how how are you supposed to make a career doing with all that uncertainty? It, it definitely presents a shift in the way things have been done traditionally for the sport. But what would you say to the national governing body, which is responsible for performance, yet has no control over the partner switches? I and mean, you could have a pair of players representing your country playing very well, then all of a sudden, for non-competitive reasons, they split up, and you as a national governing body all of a sudden are left with representatives who you have no control over, yet you are funding. I mean, if you have a, because you guys can break up a partnership. You guys, I mean, beach volleyball athletes can break up a partnership uh, for any reason. So you're saying that an athlete would would try to subvert them their own performance by splitting up because no, not, I, not I subverting. I, I'm saying there have been situations where you have a team that has been fairly successful, yet for right. other reasons splits up. Take Jake Gibb, the last couple of good seasons that he's had. He has ended up without a partner the very next year. So then the national governing body is being represented by those athletes that now have split up and now are trying to find new partners and and then come in and and want to enter the tournament, obviously want to have success. But the national governing body has no control over the individuals at that point and the people that they're putting forward to represent them in these tournaments. See, I don't see that as an issue. I I think the athlete even more than the national national governing body has the highest uh incentive to do the best that he or she can and and form the best team that he or she possibly can and i think because of the autonomy between the athletes i think that that's why the us generally does really well because we are able to pick our own trainers pick our coaches pick our partners um I think that does uh, promote success, and um, I think that incentive is why. Yeah, I mean, I don't know the right answer here. I'm just sort of playing devil's advocate with the issue. And as I think sure. about Misty and Carrie and the breakups that have occurred there just because of pregnancy, not because the partners aren't getting along anymore, or I think about Phil and Todd who were still performing at an extremely high level last year but now this year have broken up. It seems like there's a lot of people and a lot of changes that happen that the governing body has no say in at this point, given the power structure that we have here in the United States. And Brazil seems to be trying to capture some of that back to the national governing body. And I don't know where the where the truth lies in that, but I think that there's uh, – do you think that there are interests on both sides? Well, yeah, and take Brazil, for example. I see that organization, and I see, you know, 12 administrators, coaches, physiotherapists, et cetera, traveling to every single tournament to uh, help out 16 athletes. And I wonder, is their goal to do the best possible or is their goal to create jobs within their system that, you know, they're supported and, and I, don't, I don't see, I see that as like a company trying to, you know, people trying to keep their jobs and where performance isn't maybe necessarily the highest goal. It's more okay, of a... Okay, so, na- so national governing bodies not functioning like schools where class sizes go, you have 12 teachers to 16 students. We don't want 12 administrators to 16 athletes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lori, I, I, let's get off this topic for a second. I, I know it's uh, it's 
not the most favorite topic for athletes, but you've been involved in that. I want to get on to something bigger like weather. I saw the picture of the year, perhaps, in oh, the yeah. volleyball world, your Instagram photo from China, where it was 3 uh-huh. in the afternoon, but it looked like it was 2 in the morning. <laughs> was it really that dark? True story. Yes, it was. I think it was a little bit of a um, clouds from a – I think it was. It did rain later, but uh, that was a, a picture. There was a filter on it. I will admit that. But, uh, it, yeah, it was pretty gross. Yeah, what what challenges does that present? Because I remember playing, playing gla- grass tournaments in Northridge in the summertime, and at the end of the day, I really couldn't breathe so well given the air quality. Did that present a challenge for you guys playing uh, a, a day's worth of volleyball? Yeah, so in Northridge, imagine ten times worse right. than that. Yeah, um, yeah, it definitely you definitely feel it. I definitely you can see it. From what comes out of my nose to be a <laughs> to be a little bit gross about it, but uh, you know, like at the end of the day, you definitely there's definitely a difference. Yeah, it's just not ideal conditions for volleyball. No, not, kind of ideal. not ideal. When the lights are on in the middle of the day, that's definitely a problem. Yeah, there's no question. Well, Lauren, give us an idea of what your schedule looks like coming up. What are the plans for the rest of the summer? Are we going to see you domestically at any point? Are you going to the Netherlands? I am going to the Netherlands. I'm actually leaving tomorrow for an exhibition in France, headed to the Netherlands, Rome, World Champs, Switzerland, and then back home for Long Beach. Wow. Nice. Should be how, a, excited are you, how excited are you about Long Beach and that event, being brought back to the United States? I think it's the first time in 10 years that there's an FIVB event on U.S. soil? Yeah. Yeah. Last event was in 2003 in Carson. Um, I actually attended that event and um, was really you know, first time I got a taste of international volleyball, and I remember watching Liz, Ma- uh, Liz Mathikine and Linda Hanley, and you know all the all those people competing, and it's uh, really exciting. I've never played an international tournament on home soil, so I am super pumped. Finally, it will be you driving 30 minutes to the event rather than flying 30 <laughs> hours to the event. Take that, Europeans! Right? I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Exactly. Lauren, Lauren, thanks so much for spending time with us. Be sure and say hi to uh, Andrew Fuller, my fellow Barnett in his Thank family. Thank you for having my wife. Hey, Barney. Whoa, there he is. <laughs> Barnett's United. I just picked him up from the airport. I'm always here. Always. <laughs> <laughs> and documenting, always snapping photos. Very good. Well, hey, Lauren, thanks so much for spending a little bit of time with us. Good luck the rest of the season. Uh, we hope your partnership with Brittany Hochevier sticks and everything goes well for the rest of you. We look forward to seeing you in Long Beach. Thank you so much for having me, Jeremy, Kevin, Dustin. Always a pleasure. Yeah. There you go. All right. Lauren Fendrick checking in from uh, the Beach Volleyball World. I like that she's been in touch with so much of, of what's happening. You've know, been in the sport 10 years, long time to be in the sport, and and good to have people like her because you have to have some sort of institutional knowledge for the players. You have to have some sort of education process for the players who are new, who are coming in. I got this idea. Well, we tried that five years ago. It didn't go so well. Or I want to do this. I want to do that. Well, that, that's been done. This this is why it didn't work. You know, but but to have some of that blend is always important. And to have someone when you're talking about relationships between the national governing bodies 
and the players. You've got to have some players that have some sort of knowledge and history with the national governing bodies to really have any credibility of leadership. Well, she also went to school for 35 years. So yeah. you know, she's pretty smart, too, at the same time. I don't know how she's going to feel about that. She didn't like that. I pointed <laughs> out like 10 years in her career. Now she's been in school for 35. And you know, she's like 68, according to you now. I Mary. was just saying how smart she was. You were really crushing her with her age. She's, <laughs> and she's one of those players that, you're right, she's been around for, you know, she said 2003, I think, was her first uh, main draw in Manhattan. My first year, too. Really? And uh, she never has quite broken through. And, and she's one of those people that you always root for. She's always mm-hmm. very exciting. She's... Great girl, as you can tell from the from the interview. Woman, Jeremy, or whatever your name Dustin. is, Dustin. I don't think that women ever dislike being called girls, but we can get into that another time. BJ, I'll probably have a comment on it. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> no, but um, my point is that that I wonder, you know, it, it's got to be difficult when your career, you know, you, you're always knocking on the door, and maybe maybe some of those, obviously the dominant teams in the world, Misty and Carrie, are always right on top, and you're like. Come on, can can I just burst through? You know, she's always in the top four teams, I'd say, right? But but if you look at her career history, she doesn't have as many victories as she'd like. You know, she she mentioned the the Norseka thing. She's kind of around the seventeenth right now on the international tour, but just grinding for ten years, that's got away on you. Well, well, let me ask you this though: coming out now, we talked about the end a little bit. Ten years on, I mean, yeah. she's looking at the end at some point here. Uh, does a player like that? who's been forced to struggle, yeah. who's worked hard, who's had to diversify some of what she's doing, uh, or, or you know, she, he, whomever, ha- has to diversify what they're doing and, and have more thought about what comes next. Is that player in a better situation coming out of their career than perhaps a player who's been all in, 1,000% the whole time, making money, but hasn't made enough to retire? Are you in a better situation if you had to grind, you had to work hard, it didn't always come easy to you? So you're saying like somebody, for example, like Misty May Trainer, who has been at the top of her game basically since she started, hasn't had to necessarily think or didn't think more about what's happening after her career as somebody who's not winning every single tournament. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, but now Misty's kind of a bad example because I think Misty's going to be okay financially. Think about it from a financial perspective. Gotcha. But let's let's think about it from a, a personal development perspective because you as a as a person – Forget the finance side of things. Yeah. You dedicated to this thing, and now all of a sudden you can't do that thing. You have to reinvent yourself. Yeah. So, yeah, it, is a person like Lauren in uh, better prepared than, say, a Misty to find another career and have another pursuit and have a second career uh, in life? Well, with her degrees, I would say yes, for sure. Okay. But if you take that out of it... I'm talking more general terms. Yeah, no, I someone know. who's kind of grounded yeah, out yeah. versus someone who's been having success all the time. I think what happens is even on the indoor side, you have uh, guys that are, you know, a lot of my friends now, you know, making those types of decisions. And uh, I just had a celebrated Kevin Hansen's two-year-old, his daughter's two-year-old party yesterday, and we were talking about this very same thing. And I think that the people who aren't ready to see, you know, to make that transition don't see the writing on the wall or don't know the time to, to leave the game. So they stay in the game longer than they should. And then that transitions even harder. Okay. So you know, guys like Jay Ring, Phil Etherton. Uh, Phil was one of the most uh, smoothest transition players I've ever seen. I mean, one day he was playing, the next day he had a full-time job, and everyone <laughs> loved him there. And now he's doing great down in Orange County, working for Stryker Medical, doing uh, full knees. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think the skills that that all these athletes get in terms of the competition is invaluable. And I think that when they go to these various companies, they're assets, but 
getting to that point is one of the hardest things I think for an athlete to do is that transition. It's funny. You are, but you aren't. It'll get you in the door. But then when it comes to like your skills, what what can you actually do? You still have to prove yourself. Well, yeah, but you, you have to you have to have demonstrated skills to get a full time job. You can get the interview based on the Olympian a- angle. That'll separate you, of course, resume wise. But you get in there, you still have to be able to show that you're going to contribute to that company in a way that company needs. And it's not really you're not coming in to spike balls. How awesome would that be? <laughs> Yeah, Coming to an interview, they're like, look, I'm going to set you one. I just want to <laughs> tee off on it. And it depends on how much of a bounce there is. Are you qualified? When they have the company team, the company basketball yeah, team, and exactly. it's like Ray Allen. <laughs> I think Jay Ring even tried that. That would be awesome. Well, like somebody like Reed. <laughs> if somebody did, it would be Reed. Yeah. Reed, you've been you know, at the top of your game for a long time and focused on volleyball year-round, basically. So how much time is there to focus on the after the volleyball stuff? <laughs> how much? Yeah. Right. Well, not much, but I think, uh, you know, this is my 13th, 14th year, and um, Kevin knows, you know, my list of, of entrepreneurial ideas just continues to stack up and stack up. Do you so, have a notebook full? So there's a lot of various pursuits that I would like to pursue, but, but when it comes down to it and I, and I see that end, you know, in the future, um, it's still unsettling, you know, not knowing which one to pursue or, or you know, this uh, these resources that I've built up. Do I now waste them on bad ideas and, you know, which way to go? And so I think um, it's a weird thing because in our sport, there's nothing really built in to help this transition. And so you could give your life, you know, 10 to 12 to 15 years to this sport. And there's nothing really built in to help you phase. And and I think that's a shame. Uh, It's a shame to have that happen. Um, and really, the only opportunities that are out there for you are ones that you create for yourself. Of course. And so the people that have have done a good job in terms of networking and, and putting themselves out there and and trying to investigate various opportunities have something to go to. But but those that haven't, that just have been volleyball only, um, I, I would imagine it would be a lot tougher. That's the paradox, right, though, because in order to ha- have success at this level, and you talk about really all Olympic sports are all professional sports, in order to have success at that level, you have to be single-minded about it. You can't be of a split mind about what you're doing day-to-day. You're just not going to have the kind of success that you want uh, and that you're capable of inside your sport. And then it's over, it's over. And people criticize, we've gotten into this a little bit on the show before, people criticize professional athletes for staying too long, for going bankrupt afterwards, yep. for not producing anything afterwards. But hey, that's that's the nature of the beast. When these folks find what they're made to do, you know, I always be a professional athlete. You were made to be a professional athlete, and that's not only the physical makeup, but the mental makeup, the ability to drag your sorry ass out of bed again to practice and go through practice again, even though you are half broken, and you're going to get through that practice at a high level. You're going to get better that day, and then go ice it up and do it, and then do it again the next day. There is a certain mental makeup that allows people to do that. And I've said that about folks who say, I'd love to have your job as a professional athlete. Like, you could not do my job. <laughs> Sorry, you could not do it. But I dominate my league. Exactly. But then afterwards, it's not something you can do. It has a finite horizon. Ten years is a long career as a professional athlete. I don't know what the average is across all, if you take all professional sports, let's say the top 15 professional sports. I'm willing to bet the pro career is more like five years. That would be my off-the-top guess. But let's say you do it for 10. 
there's a definite end to that. It's not like becoming an accountant or becoming uh, a, a, I don't know, sales guy or, or whatever, where you can expect to do that job should you wish. Yeah. From out of college at 22 to 62. It's just not going to happen. So you're forced to reinvent yourself, but yet you found what you are made to do. It's just that that window isn't very long. We've also been playing that sport, most likely, since high school, at least full-time, most likely. So you've been doing that for 15, 20 years total, and then all of a sudden you're like, okay, my body can't do this anymore. I have to do something else. Yeah, but I've been over. doing this one thing forever. Yeah. Good times. It's not something to feel sorry for for these people. I, no, I think, no but, I don't feel sorry for you at all, Reed. But I, <laughs> but I think that the I, I think the situation could be different. You know, I think what you see is uh, a lot of athletes. Uh, you know, I remember Jay Jay Ring, one of my best friends, uh, being really um, angry. You know, that his career ended and he didn't have a ton to show for it, uh, so to speak. Um, yep. And uh, that's the guy who grounded out indoors and out. Right. And uh, I know, you know, the the trend on on the USA team over the last thirty years. Uh, I you know I had a I had a great dinner with um, Scott Fortune in the airport uh, when I was leaving the, the board meeting, and it was great connecting with him. But uh, the general consensus is when people are leaving the national program after a decade or more, it's not a rosy feeling towards the organization, and I think that. Um, they do a great job at a lot of things, but I think one thing in the future, you know, we're always talking about beach issues. I mean, that just dominates uh, the discussion. But in terms of uh, things that we can do better on the indoor side, I think would be to, as soon as, like, even these young guys, Tony, for example, you know, I, I sent out these emails recently to these guys. and Chirilios. said, hey, <laughs> you know, we've made a lot of mistakes, my wife and I, but we've developed a pretty good team around us. If you guys want you know, those resources will pass that on to you. Stuff like that to, to help the guys that are coming in from day one. I think another great thing that USA Volleyball could do, especially given the fact that they have this enormous uh, network around the U.S. in terms of the regions and the clubs, and, and really the clubs are the only business in our sport that are standalone. They're a true business. Everything else is subsidized. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I, even college, good point. And there's no reason why there can't be a department or a few people to as these young guys come in and young girls come in, uh, it's sort of starting to ask the questions when they're 22, well, what would you like to do after? And to start building strategies around each player and, and media contacts in that person's city that throughout their entire career, there is this constant stream of connections and activity going back and forth to where when that day comes, there's been 10 years of thought in terms of de developing relationships that, that this person is uh, excited about. So you want to have a, a mentorship program in their other interests, perhaps? Yeah. You know, maybe it's that. Maybe it's uh, – uh, it could be all sorts of things. You know, you know, we experienced uh, – after 08, we, we were introduced to the radio scene, and so we've on our own developed this uh, – and, and Speaking of bad ideas, you can waste money on it. <laughs> But uh, I think there's lots of opportunities out there, especially as it relates to clubs. You know, there's no um, – this isn't about trying to be famous. This is about trying to leverage your skills and experience. And um, you have to work as an individual at this point to make those things happen. And I think the organization, um, with their network and ability and, more than anything, 
the fact that they're on the ground in the U.S. for 12 months out of the year, that they could take that responsibility and do something really special with it. See, I like this idea. I think it's something that would be good to bring to the board is to develop that program. And it's the way I took the retirement policy to the board. Come up with an idea, write it up, take it to the board, see what they have to say, go back and rewrite it, take it again, rewrite it. I mean, I think that the retirement policy that, that I passed right during the end of my time period on the board uh, took about a year to 18 months from start to finish, from kind of concept to end. But I like the idea of this mentorship program that they could at least get you in touch with regular phone calls with somebody that's in an industry that you're interested in. So at least you have some touch with the industry outside of the Internet and a search on the Internet uh, with someone in the industry that you're interested in, like like a Jane Collymore, who we're going to have back here on the show uh, at some point shortly. Live in, performance. In the music industry. But have some some contact with folks. Or if you want to be a DJ, if you think you want to be a DJ Please, later, no, there's too many of us already. <laughs> calling, calling Jeremy and, and having you know, a monthly call with Jeremy just to hear about the DJ business, just to hear about what it's like to be in the real world. Because honestly, when you're playing, you have friends that are working and stuff, but you have no real touch with what it means to be in the real world when you're playing for a living. It's It's not remotely the same. Well, Dustin, when you were in college playing volley, did yes. you think or did you have desire to play internationally when college was over? Or were you thinking like when my college career is done, I'm going into the quote unquote real world? I had desire and being able to are two different things. Did you Was that reality? Did you know that reality? Yeah, that reality was pretty evident to me. <laughs> However, I didn't have some of the programs that are in place. At USC now, I'm part of a student athlete mentor program. Mm -hmm. And I come back and talk to some of the guys on the volleyball team who both have potential for international careers whether it be USA Volleyball or in at other clubs mm -hmm. internationally. But then there's also, you know, track and field, former track and field athletes that have somebody that they come back and talk to, somebody that's, that they're not school, you know, tennis players, golfers, football players, right? Because even if you play football at USC, it doesn't mean you're going to the NFL, yeah. right? So they have put in a program in place now that I think is great, and they have career counseling kind of come in, and you meet a few times a year and that sort of thing. There could very well be a, uh, a similar program at the USA Volleyball level or something like that. For and is that costing USC anything, or they just ask you if you want to be involved, and you're like, sure, I'll be involved. There has to be some administrative um, cost. Yeah, I'm sure it doesn't cost me anything other yeah. than time. USC probably has, you know, there's probably some budgetary, you know, involvement. And the USOC has a little bit of this with some of the resume help and some of this and stuff, but it, it doesn't delve to the point of the personal, of the what do you want to do, what do you think you want to do, Let's connect you with somebody in that industry. Let's utilize our connections. I think SC has vast resources of the alumni network yep. to actually do that. USA Volleyball, if they had a better alumni network, if they access their alumni network and their connections better, could provide that. It's going to take time to administrate it, uh, but they, they could provide that. I know the NBA and the NFL, they do stuff with money management and managing the people you know and the people who you talk to and those kinds of things. Cause it's a scary world for those athletes if your contract more, is out there. A lot more money is involved with them, too. And so you get a lot more hangers-on, of course. Uh, but the, uh, the idea of keeping you and getting you, getting the athlete also to buy into that notion that, hey, just keep a, keep a little touch out there. Like when you, Reed, when you and Kevin, when you guys went, played internationally after college or whatever, like, did you have anybody telling you, like, hey, here's what you should be doing with your money, or anybody that suggested, like, you need to have some of this? <laughs> you weren't making the big bucks overseas yet? Reed was around during those years. They weren't, uh, let's say, great years. You had a little bit of dough, but it wasn't not like today. Gotcha. 
I mean, you're not coming out of college making 250, which is what some of these guys do now. That's what I'm talking about. I think now uh, one of the things that we've learned, my wife and I, is that it's not so much about ex- – I mean, yes, you want to grow your ability to earn dollars, but you also want to know how to keep the dollars that you earn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, when you're with the wrong people, um, you know, those dollars are going to disappear very quickly. Um, and so so we've been fortunate to be around some people that, that have been able to help us in a big way. And and um, and then now, was that people you sought out or somehow somebody suggested them or just you know, look uh, at the draw? Sort of what we call our quarterback uh, is our tax uh, mm-hmm. consultant came from uh, Loy, gotcha. Loy Ball's connection. And so now he manages – at least uh, a half dozen to a dozen of the players. Um, and then it sort of trickles from there. And uh, my wife and I have always been, we don't want to be a, a you know, one-stop shop, so to speak. You know, we want to have some competing ideas, fight against each other, and, and let the advisors, you know, hear both sides. But um, to be fair, the USOC is starting to implement some really cool programs. Yeah. Like DeVry, they've got scholarships for guys to go, you know, earn an advanced degree etc. But uh, I think USA Volleyball can really step up to the plate to do something that would not only be beneficial to the players, but it would also, like you said, incorporate an alumni. And that's what we don't have. Uh, you know, Sadly. You know, a lot of these players probably don't even, couldn't even name the, the 84 and 88 teams. Is and, some of that, though, because the former players had such a bad taste in their mouth? That's the thing. Is, is yeah, there a way, some, go there a way gotcha. to bring them all back? Yeah. People, I know we've we talked about that. that. No, I know we've talked about I'm that. I'm so sick of this about USA Volleyball this, USA Volleyball that. I'm with you. Man, I'm with you. I've sat in the meetings. I've stood up in the meetings and told Kerry Klosterman what I think about what he's doing. I've I've been on the board. Did he slap you on the And been active on the board. I've, I've sat in, when Reed was very first on the team, in the Berlin airport, or Frankfurt airport maybe it was, telling Doug that there's no way in hell we're sharing the per diem with Brad Sand and the, the assistant coach. No way. You know, I've I've done that stuff. I can't see you arguing with anybody, Kevin. And, it's and, unbelievable. And at the same time, you have to, you got to be able to set aside some of that stuff. You got to be able to set aside some of those things and go. We we got to work together to the future. And I think that's unfortunately what's going on on the board now is people can't let go of ten years ago. People can't let go of eight years ago, five years, ago, whatever it is. Well, from my perspective, too, and obviously not being on the board and being around USAV forever, from things I see, from knowing people in there from the outside, it seems like they're trying to do better. Whether everybody agrees with it or not, they're trying to do more than what they did before for the players, for all the athletes. The trend of the organization is positive. Yeah. You have to start with that. You can't keep talking about back in 03, back in 97. Well, then go live back in freaking 97. Fire up the DeLorean and head your ass back there because it ain't 97 anymore. I think uh, from the outside, one of the things that I agree with that Kevin's saying is when I was at USC playing, it it wasn't the ex- exactly the smoothest logistics. You, you, there's a lot of things that happened in the, with that program that – SC or, U, or USA Volleyball? No, US, USC. That's the okay. only one I've personally been a part of. Yeah. That we share with – in the misery, you know, like you commiserate with each other. And once you get past that initial anger or whatever, frustration or whatever you want to call it, it's a bond. And USA Volleyball, to be a part of something, you know, from the outside, like an Olympics or like an international competition, I think is something that's so, you know, pure and so so few people are able to participate in it that if you can get past that, I'm sure that guys from 64 – Right would would be a part of it to come back and and just 
you know, meet the guys that are 06, 08, 10, you know, all the guys that have been on parts of these teams that have done different things, it should happen. And there's, there's something that's so, so different there that like, I can't be a part of, you know, I'll never, I'll never have, you were talking about the 12 foot club. I'll never have a, a key to the, to the USA, USA volleyball club. You know what I mean? That's, that's past. Um, and I probably never had. You probably never had a key. No, I didn't have the combination. <laughs> I tried to break down the door. I didn't. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's sort of like a missed opportunity. If that goes past and nobody capitalizes on that alumni network, quote unquote, then it's sort of, it's on you, yeah. right? Whoever you are, it's on, that's on you. Yeah, <clears throat> I think I think the alumni need to take pride in having been a part of the Olympic Games. And I can, I can think of a lot of people who, who are angry about their time there. Of course. And and you you, you got to understand that I mean I, it was frustrating for me too to go from Pepperdine where things were supported well, administrated well, we traveled, things went right to go to the national team where sometimes it takes 24 hours to get to Louisville. Actually, <laughs> most times it takes 24 hours to get to Louisville because you were on the Pony Express. Well, yeah. because because <laughs> that's what happens, you know. It's just and, and that organization, I couldn't believe. I was incredulous because I could not believe I went from a college right. to the national team, and yeah. the national team was a mess compared to my college program. Yeah, I could not believe that that was the case, and I didn't have the understanding. That's what I was saying earlier with Lauren. It's important to have people that have been there for 10 years, of course, to tamp down some knuckleheads. <laughs> who are yeah. who are getting a little too emotional at the start, uh, but people got to let go of some of that. And, and to Dustin's point, revel in the fact that you've been through that. You've been a part of that exclusive fraternity. You've been a part of something that uh, was it 600 athletes read out of uh, every four years. 600 American athletes every four years go to the Olympics. 600 people out of 300 million, and 12 people out of the 13 million people that participate in the sport of volleyball. 12 people every four years there's 13 million people a year participating so 40 what 52 million people participating in your sport and you're one of the 12 and it's probably less because there's always multiple right i mean reed's been in a few olympics there's everybody like that right so it's less than 12 really because oh yeah it takes it's, not a new, it's not a new 12 every year no i've been twice right exactly and so take i mean the odds of doing that are incredibly small reed's been three times right Odds of that are infinitesimally smaller. Right. I mean, there there has to be I, I an appreciation for it. I don't disagree with you guys at all. In fact, I totally agree with you. Uh, however, and this is a this is a important distinction. It's not USAV should do this. It's USAV could do this. That's what I was going to ask. Could. Like, is it their responsibility? Like, do they have? To, is it something they and, have to do? No. And I think no. I think no. what's happened is 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 the game has evolved and it's become a profession yet because the Olympics are so special, that's what's traded on. Right. And there's a lot of stuff left that could happen that could really not just benefit the team, but it could benefit the sport as a whole, you know, to have access to these players in their various cities to, to continue to follow their stories. That doesn't just help that individual that it helps the sport. It helps the team. It helps the, you know, hopefully things grow. And so, um, I want nothing more than to have that fraternity actually exist more than just me seeing, um, I'm forgetting his first name, but Suarez from Rudy, from, not Rudy, his brother. Uh, uh, I see him every once in a while over at Seacliff uh, Country Club in Huntington. 
and he was in the '60s, maybe. And uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, that's cool. Yeah, well, that's great. It's, and it's the networking of that too. Those are just all people that they're like, hey, I played for our country, you played for our country. Let me introduce you to so and so. Yeah, you know, just the networking opportunities for that too are a big deal. And uh, you know, to Reed's point, a rising tide carries all ships, right? So every it doesn't have to be every four years. It doesn't. You know, there's so much more that could happen, and and the the sport potentially could advance just because of. And it doesn't have to be elaborate events. It could just be so you have, you know, contact information or yeah. whatever. So that if, if I see that guy, oh, I know I know him. I'm going to say hi or, or, or I'm trying to transition to my next career now and I need, I need help. Where do I start? Where do I even start, I think, is just to have a starting point. Okay, well, I know that I can talk to so-and-so at whatever organization and they can put me in touch or they can get the ball rolling. Well, instead of cold calling people too, like you at USC, like some of those kids know, like, yeah. hey, I can reach out to Dustin and ask right. him a question. Right. If Reed's part of the network, like some new kid coming out is like, well, let me ask Reed how he did the transition or, right. like you said, what type of team you have around you helping you with, like, let's just say travel, period. And when Traveling it, around the world, what do you do? Like, do I have to buy a sling box? Do I buy Apple TV? Yeah. Like, what and, do I do when I'm overseas? Right. And, and it, That's it, an important question. <laughs> Extremely. It, and it, uh, it gets the ball rolling and then... You know, if somebody were to reach out to me and I can't do anything, obviously, then I go, oh, you know who can help you with that? So-and-so. And I, you know, you set up, forward an email and CC somebody. You know, it's just something like that, that when it starts to happen, it self-perpetuates itself and it gets stronger and stronger and then the network grows. But um, like Reed said, it could it could happen. We're going to have Kavika Shoji, it appears, on the program here in the next 30 minutes. So look forward to hearing from a good young player with a great history in his family of volleyball. Uh, you know, to, to finish up on this topic just for a moment, Linda Murphy on the women's side, a uh, woman who played back in 68, she has started to do this, has been doing this for a long time on the women's side, mm -hmm. creating an alumni network, creating that feeling of, of uh, camaraderie inside of the national team programs. You know, uh, so she's she's been doing that, and I know – Gary Sato was instrumental in trying to do some of that stuff with Long Beach with last year with the men's program. But it, it, it needs to happen more. And I know people are busy. Uh, I know people are spread out. But I go to a lot of these volleyball events. I go to the Boys Banquet. I go to Nationals. I go to, uh, I don't know, whatever other and volleyball event I seem to end up at, uh, college Final Fours or, or whatever. And I see some of these guys. Aldous Burson is just honored at the Boys Banquet in Louisville. Uh, you see Karch. You see... You don't see Steve Timmons around. I've never run into Steve, unfortunately. Uh, but you, you run into some of these older guys, uh, Scott Fortune, who's now involved. And it's good to have time to kind of pick their brain about just stuff, just hear about what it was like and, and revel in some of the misery in, in some cases with the national team trips. And I told Doug Beal when I saw him, I, when I got there, I'd been on the road for 24 hours, just arrived at the hotel, and I told him, I said, Doug, it was a national team trip. <laughs> it was perfect absolutely perfect because uh, that's just the, the way it went it took me a long time on an individual basis to learn to deal with that stuff and that's more of a personal growth for me uh, but to learn how to deal with that like of course we missed our flight from Miami to Brazil that always happens what are we doing tonight let's, let's figure out a way to have some fun rather than being an idiot and somehow raging against what happened and the injustice of it all who cares? It's just that's what happened, and there's nothing we could do about it now but find another way to enjoy it. Yeah. And I think the same thing needs to be said in a more global perspective for the national team. So what 
if USA Volleyball effed you out of $1,000 10 years ago. Get over it. Well, and the people who are in charge of that now probably weren't the same people that were in charge of it then. Well, some are. That's partly the issue. <laughs> if I think about that, like people ask me, when the AVP went under in 2010, the Jeremy was owed some money. Not large amounts of money, but large, but money. Um, and then now it's back, and you know they're they talking. still owe you money. Yes, but not like Donald doesn't owe me money. Send Donald a bill. You know, it wasn't him that did that. So it's like I could still be angry. Am I bitter about things that happened? Sure. I'm, it's more disappointment at this point than bitterness. But do I blame Donald? No. Was it his fault? Not one. Not one bit. See, people still are very fired up about. USA Volleyball in particular. And in some cases, I get it. In some cases, I'm like, you got to let it go. Enough already. Well, I think I think identification of how things can be better is important. Uh, yes. It's just what do we do now? And, and, and so I think that's why a lot of us are getting involved and trying to be more involved in the governance of the sport and trying to take things to the next direction. Because like I said, there's been – an evolution within the sport. This has gone from amateur to professional. I mean, this is 100% professional, and USAV, rightly so, has traded on the Olympic experience for decades. As they should. And uh, But now, it's not just about the Olympic experience. You've got people with families, and uh, this is somebody, this is people's livelihood. And, you know, I take... Um, I, I think it's special, and I think you want to have that connection between generations and players, and I certainly want that. Um, you know, anytime you have an opportunity to talk to people like Karch and Scott Fortune and Steve Timmons, I mean, it's 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 special, and you feel uh, I want to know more of those stories. Uh, or Loy, or Reed, or Clay, or Tom, or I mean, yeah, that that's more the list. From even today, you don't think about yourself as an old guy until you look back and go, well, hell, it's been 15 years. My yeah. first first national team practice was 97. And I, I think it's a real shame to, even if somebody like Scott Fortune has a finance background, and so he goes from volleyball into, into finance, uh, but he's got this wealth of information, experience, uh, talent, gifts, knowledge, uh, to share, and it's a sh- we we, we want to keep that in house as much as possible. Even if he goes on to a finance, we we want to be able to, you know, get that stuff from the next generations uh, or for the next generations. And I think it's important to have those. But if you have a but everybody leaving bitter, and and you know what, obviously there is something wrong with the system if if virtually everybody leaves that way. Then um, you know you want to retain. Okay, Lloyd's recently retired, but you you want to. I mean, we've got a bunch of young setters. You still want him involved, exactly. Hopefully. If he wants to still be involved. I mean, he's. Let's take Lloyd for example. I mean, there's there hasn't been another volleyball athlete in America who has, from the very get go, said I'm a professional volleyball player and stuck it out as long as he has. There's probably no. Uh, body in volleyball in America that has made as much money as he has and been as successful um, as he has. And uh, he's got a lot of experience and a lot of uh, things to be able to pass on to the next generation. And you want to make sure that that door is wide open um, and for him to do so. Especially now with the setter situation. And for players to do that. but Because the, the player has to buy in. And that's maybe partly the issue you're dealing with early 20s individuals of varying maturity. And understanding, and I don't know that how much I would have bought in to some of that stuff. Some of it just needs to be kind of forced on you. 
And you still have to get those younger guys to buy in, but it, you're certainly not going to get them to buy in by not having a program. <laughs> you have you to have not giving them a choice. Right. You have to have the program. And I, I think it benefits you as an organization if you can have folks intimately involved and still buying into the national team programs. And one of the things I've always encouraged people to do, uh, whether it's, you know, Carrie and Todd or, uh, you read or other players in the national team who have been upset with USA Volleyball is to get involved. Get in the room then. Get in the room and and see what's going on. And while I disagree with some of the stuff that's going on right now with the board, I at least commend those people for being in the room uh, and, and showing up. Now, if they're showing up, great. But if they're not showing up, then I'm upset that they're not showing up and they're supposed to be there. But you need to get in and get involved. And if you want to make a difference, then get in there and start talking to the people that matter instead of sitting around the outside bitching and complaining. Well, I think it's like anything, especially as I get older. Like if I, if there's an issue that I have with somebody or something or my career and I'm just complaining about it all the time, it's my responsibility to change that. Nobody else could change it for me or to know more about it. So, right. But I think some of that comes with age too. Sure. So it's human, saying, it's human condition. We're, yeah. we're speaking to ourselves. Right oh, now, was, yeah, no, yeah, we're not yeah. speaking to anybody else. <laughs> well, okay, I've got the solution. Uh, we're going to form an event for men's Olympic volleyball players. It's going to happen annually, and it's going to happen in Vegas. Sweet, that's, that's got to be the only solution. Dustin, you guys can play. Well, At Kevin, the pool party, Kevin can't play because his knee. Sitting? Are we playing sitting? No, 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 no. We're like golf. This is like a golf. I can Weekend. play golf. I will drive the golf cart with the boombox on the back. Nice. <laughs> Have we talked beach yet in this last weekend? No, but before we get to that, Lauren tweeted me and said, USOC has a mentorship and athlete career program, and she is part of both. We just had her on mute, so she couldn't chime back in. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, Lauren. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and they have had a career program, although it was sparse when I was there, and, and maybe I didn't fully invest in it. And again, this is the balance, right? Because you can't – that was part of the USOC's thing for a long time, is you had to be a full-time student. Like, how am I going to be a full-time student? I live overseas six months a year. How am I going to be a full? I can't be a full-time anything. And even in in our era, when you when you started a few years later, the internet and what what you were able to do from overseas is not remotely what you're able to do today. The programming that's available, if you are a dedicated individual to taking classes, learning more, being involved in other programs, the internet and the accessibility of that is hugely improved since my first season overseas in Belgium or even in Italy where, I'm sorry, we had broadband here, not so much overseas. You had the dial yeah, up? exactly. I, th I, I think, again, this is not USAV should. This is USAV could. Yeah, and and maybe it's not USAV. Maybe, that's, uh, maybe we're talking to ourselves here, and it, it's up to players who – The NetLive could. Who really – Who have gone through – the ups and downs and kind of seen a better way to do it and decide, okay, we're going to, we're going to try to pass something on here and create something cool. So I, I'm not, I like your idea. I'm not sitting here saying that they, you know, Doug Beal needs to, to do something Correct. better. Right. I, I'm saying USAV has an opportunity. They've got all of these 22, 24, yep. 26 year old people. I mean, they've got them for 10 years. Let's take care of them. Let's, let's make sure that, you know, when they're when it's all said and done, there's a really healthy relationship, and, and these individuals are are being kickstarted into a, you know, blossoming another career. Well, as Kevin likes to say, there could be an association in association with USAV. You know, they, somebody could partner with them, and so they don't have to do it all on their own. 
Yeah, somebody has to dedicate the time, and I, I like to write read that the in point. your like, ID notebook. Read the Net Live. We should have the Net Live uh, USA Volleyball Alumni Night or Day. We should have a golf tournament, and and if someone's gonna in Vegas, hey, set it up. I'm yeah, here, so okay. I'm there. Vegas. Did you get my text? I did. Okay, yeah, but you do all I can to be out there. <laughs> I like when you two, when you two start talking. I just see bright lights start going off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, Vegas baby. Sasha Volkov arrives today. The middle blocker from Russia. He's going to be spending. He loves to take solo trips to Las Vegas every year. He's going to be spending two weeks out there. So I'm going to try to meet him out there. And J Row, you're going to be out there as well. Yep. Two weeks in Vegas. Yeah. Wow, that is. That's about, uh, let's see, it's 14 days. That's about 11 days more than I need <laughs> in Vegas. got to do what you got to do. Kevin. At least the strip of Vegas, anyway. All right, we have a guy on the line who has been to World League already this year, our favorite. Took a photo with the shirt you currently have on, Kevin. And I, I saw the photo, and I thought, boy, he looks a little perturbed. I don't know. Cam looks a little... <laughs> Was they have a middle finger on the or front of the shirt or something? Like, <laughs> someone's taking this photo of me. How did this shirt get on me? Uh, but, yeah... <laughs> Uh, I've had an opportunity to see him the last couple of years in Toronto, and I've been up there for Supercross. Jeremy, drink. Thank you. Totally drink. Please welcome to the NetLive once again, Cam Kerr, favorite correspondent hey guys, from north of the border. Good, Cam. Good to hear your voice. So you were at an event this past weekend. You're watching your own Canadian national team. Is that right? In Quebec? I was. We were in Quebec City uh, watching us play the Netherlands. Uh, Canada and the Netherlands split the weekend 1-1. Uh, 3-1 and 3-1, so it's both a, a three-point win for each team. We're in the, the C pool, so only one team out of our pool will actually make it out of pool play and into the World League Finals. But, uh, yeah, it was it was a great weekend to start off the World League season, and uh, good to see our national team again. The C pool, only one team makes it out of World League this year? Yeah, so it, World League has a little bit of a different format this year. Uh, right. You guys are in pool A, so you guys will have multiple representatives make it out of pool A. C is kind of, um, I guess, the, like the third. Ran. Yeah, they also ran. So we're, uh, you know, I thought that, like, we had a pretty good shot at, at taking the C pool. But after seeing the Netherlands, you know, like, they're ranked, like, what, 36th in the world, and we're ranked 18th. But, like, if you look at, like, some of the teams that are around where they're ranked, like, Morocco was ranked higher than them. But, you know, like, the Netherlands plays, played some really good volleyball this weekend. The first match, we won, but they had like 41 unforced errors, so that helped us a lot. But they have a really young setter there, and it looks like a promising program. How was the attendance there in Quebec? Uh, well, the attendance on the stat sheets say it was about ah. 4,000 and over 4,000. I would, from who I talked to uh, at the different people in charge of ticket sales, they, I think they got about 3,400 people both nights. Um, they were really counting on the walk-up traffic, people who, uh, you know, are just buying tickets at the door. But the first night was a huge thunderstorm. So they think that, like, a lot of people stayed home because of that. Uh, the way they actually sold tickets, though, is they filled one side of the stadium completely with people. They were in a, a stadium called the Coliseo Pepsi. seats about 15,000. Um, the upper bowl was closed, but they filled one side completely with people, and that side was the side that was opposite the TV cameras. So on TV, uh, this, these matches were both nationally broadcast on Sportsnet. On TV, it looked like the place was packed. But for me, I could just look over and see the other side. It was only about a third full. Mm. Yeah, it's funny. That I always hear these excuses with volleyball that it was the thunderstorms or Seinfeld's finale or <laughs> literally yeah. Seinfeld's finale. It's awesome. Uh, we played one night in Hawaii when that happened. But <clears throat> you never hear... 
about an NBA first-round playoff. They go, oh, there was a big rainstorm. Uh, half the crowd didn't show up. It doesn't happen in other sports. It's such a weird thing. Tell us a little bit about the Canadian national team. Uh, it's been a generation of players, not unlike the United States, although I think your generation of players left already. You had a group that was there for a very long time, but now you guys have to break in an entirely new group. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot of young talent. Um, our our roster, like our 12-man roster, everybody got to play both games except for one person, uh, Dan Lewis, who was our longtime libero. We have a new libero this year, Blair Ban, young guy. You know, he still he played uh, in Finland last year for us in World League, but he's still new to the international game and is getting his, his position and his movement down. So uh, our defense was a little bit off, but we have Gavin Schmidt on, on right side, who's a very good right side and just actually signed with uh, Arkis Izmir for next year. So if Reed, if you're going back to Turkey, you will see him in your Turkish league. Nice. He's uh, he's indisposed at the moment. Uh, well, uh, yeah. we also have Gord Perrin, uh, also plays for Arkis, and then we have Adam Slimak, Justin Duff, also plays for Arkis, and then our head coach is the head coach of Arkis. We pretty much have like a Canadian team in Champions League somehow. But between that and our 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 outsides, we have a a good team. It just looked like this was kind of like the shaking off the rust game. You know, everybody's getting back together. We haven't been in the national program training together for uh, too, too long. So I think that next week coming up, we have Portugal uh, here in Toronto, which I'm going to be going to as well and covering. Uh, I'm going to be interested to see how they how they perform uh, after they've had a little bit more time together. Tell you what, I was impressed with Canada's team last year when you guys put, came down and played in the Olympic qualifier, I thought you played some incredible volleyball, and you mentioned some of the athletes there. Gavin Schmidt, that kid's an animal. Uh, oh, yeah, he, he's unbelievable. Yeah, he's going to be quite good. And, uh, yeah, going through your roster here, I see Justin Duff there. He's got the, the fuzzy head going. Uh, but there are there's some, some good young talent. You guys always have some big, strong guys. Now, what about the ability of this team to beat the United States when it matters? Because I don't think that's happened in 25 years. I don't know. This United States team that's currently on the roster, it's completely new. I haven't seen them play yet. Uh, you know, the, you're talking about uh, Spraw making all those changes. I want to see the, this Canadian team play your current uh, U.S. roster. That would be a great match. But we do have Norsecas coming up at the end of the summer. Uh, they will be in Langley, B.C., up here in Canada, where I guess we'll get to see that. And if you guys want to come up, we can have a little friendly wager. Nice. That would be fine. I'm in on that. I'm in on throwing down the gauntlet. I like to hear that the, some of those names are still around. Dan Lewis played against him in college. He's still hanging around there. Uh, also, Jonas Brinkman and Freddie Winters, uh, another uh, player who came down here and played stateside for a little while. So a, a good young Canadian squad there. Yeah, I, it's interesting, Cam, the lineup for World League, and they change it every single year, it seems. They change the format. It stayed static for a little while, but they include more teams. They include fewer teams, and uh, the idea of ranking teams and having more good teams in at the end is an interesting one. Do you think that's good for for the sport in general to, I guess, limit the participation of the lesser-ranked teams in the finals? Um, I think it's good to get the lesser-ranked teams some international ball experience. I talked to the coach of the Netherlands team this weekend, and he said, I asked him what he thought of the new format, and he said, you know what, like, we need to be playing these matches. We need to be playing matches against the Canadas and against the Koreas. And, you know, like, 
our, our rank on the world ranking isn't that good. We need this experience to get better. And if if right now we're in Pool C and, we, you know, like it'll, maybe only one person could go into the finals, that's fine. But we will be a better team because of the matches that we play this year. Yeah, I like the idea of that there, that uh, for sure they need the matches. And if you're not included in the format at all, it's tough to find good matches this time of year. It's it's very challenging to get the kind of competition you need to train your young team. Good point there. Well, Cam, what do you have coming up next? Are you going to get an opportunity to see this next weekend of action? Yes, next weekend is in my hometown of Toronto, so I don't have to spend 12 hours on a train to get to the game. That will be fun. So we are playing Portugal this upcoming weekend, and then the weekend after uh, is also in Toronto, and we are playing Korea. So hopefully we will have uh, big fans. We've kind of put out like a call to arms. Everybody's got to come support our national team. So I will report back and see what kind of numbers we get and what the results And We've been doing video coverage on our site, volleyballsource.net. We've posted like seven videos a match of interviews with players and press conferences and and highlights and stuff like that. So if you're interested in World League, go check it out there. All right, yeah, check out Cam's site. Cam, thanks for being so dedicated to the sport. 12 hours on a train is brutal. And uh, say hi to Gary Sato for us when you see Korea. All right, will do. All right, Cam Kirk, checking in from Canada, north of the border there in Toronto. So uh, World League underway for the Canadian national team and soon to be underway for the American national team. Again, Wichita coming up this week. It'll be a good one, Wichita State. The Shockers! And yes, they know. That's why it's out. There it is. Can't quite do it. Wait a minute. Yeah, Your fingers don't work that direction? There we go. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. The shockers, uh, they know what that means. That answer that question. ESPN did a whole tongue-in-cheek thing a while back about it that I thought was pretty funny. Online, not on the show. Yeah, correct. We don't yeah. do anything. The uh, edgier stuff goes online. We don't do anything uh, edgy on this show, ever. No, we don't talk about curse. controversial topics. No, no. Yeah, I dropped a couple of curses today, but you know that's the way it goes. Reed's already upset. With no me. f-bombs. Just he's, you know. he's gotten off the show. <laughs> Threw his headphones down. Digging deep into Volleyball Magazine right now. <laughs> you know, I've somehow my subscription has uh, stopped coming, so I'm catching up on the last six months of Volleyball Mag. I just they, got re-upped. They probably don't send it to Turkey, would be my guess. <laughs> yeah, I just got re-upped. Mine also ended, so they need to re-up you as well. They sent me some back issues. That's why I have that pile there. All right. I haven't uh, I've been reading all of them. So You see my article in there? I have not had an opportunity got to good, read it. got some good pub. I did a uh, – I think the last article that's been published was the uh, – I kind of did like a reggae summer mix. So feel free to uh, upgrade your playlist, Kevin. Oh, uh, yeah. I think we also need to upgrade our advertisement. Oh, man, I'm hard at work on that already. Okay, good. Yeah, got a couple of things. Matt Cardhop is on the job. Could at oh, least photo- hey. You can at least Photoshop my head on Geeter. I know I'm just... not as tall as you guys, but... <laughs> I think that's a great idea. Why don't we just have Gardhoff just pick... Uh, maybe fans can vote on the, the best collage that he's put together yeah, that right. month, and that becomes the next month. Yeah. Actually, to Matt Gardhoff's credit, he put in an incredible number of hours on a actual advertising collage. You will see it. Like a, you said, one's going in next issue, right? Yeah, yeah. but uh, we'll talk off air about some of the issues associated <laughs> with, with that. But uh, yeah, Matt Gardhoff put in an incredible amount of work, and you will see a full uh, show, general like green screen, not green screen. Uh, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? CGI? No, 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 no. <laughs> timeless, a timeless collage that Gardhoff put together that was pretty amazing. I'm uh, he's also you, working on some other stuff, too. I'll show you, Rita, after the show. When a few episodes go by and Matt hasn't done a collage, which he is not required to do at all, 
Like I have fans will hit me up on Facebook and be like, "Where's Where's Matt's collage this week?" <laughs> I was waiting for Matt's collage last week that had the 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 Jesus. No, the, <laughs> I would have had that too. But would have the uh, male, male, female, female together interlocking. Oh symbols. yeah, I was yeah, waiting yeah, yeah. for that one. Oh, his uh, boss probably came into work that it was week. Like, so it was like, work on it. Yeah, he's like, hey, bro. Um, but I told Matt he created a monster all onto his own because now people expect it to show up. Oh, yeah. He's not getting a dime from us, so yeah, it's not a requirement, that's for sure. <laughs> um, that's fault. I want to touch back on something that Lauren said in her interview talking about yeah. a little bit of a difference between national team and beach teams and how – and this is a – point that I bring up all the time, too, is that beach volleyball is a little bit more of an individual sport, and I think that's where the biggest issue comes in and where the players may gripe, whether it's right or wrong, a little bit more about, well, we want to pick our own coaches and stuff like that, and I get that argument, but I think that is the biggest or the the highest hurdle for doing them getting the support that they really want. Beach volleyball is in a situation where the model is changing a little bit. Correct. I think also... You know, you're talking the the most vocal players at this point are the players that are well into their 30s, gold yep. medalists, um, and have a lot at stake at the moment. And so, I don't think USAV wants to send their less than best. But with no stable tour, yeah, I mean that with no disrespect. Oh, uh, all of those players had an infrastructure whether they realized it or not, in a domestic professional tour. That's right. not there right now. And That's so, how they grew into the players they are. And so the FIVB was slup- supplemental. Correct. Right? Okay. And so the best teams had the freedom and the opportunity to go and compete, uh, to get the points they needed, but then to come back to this infrastructure that supported not just them, but it supported the entire professional beach volleyball community, right? And so you didn't just have the gold medalist playing. Correct. You also had the 22-year-old who's trying to qualify and play in that event. They had exposure to the highest level of the sport. They could see the best players playing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. With AVP out and now these competing tours, again, no disrespect to who's out there, it's a different scenario. And so nobody would argue that we don't, you know, we want to have our best players going, but the the question is, is what framework helps those young players get to the point where they're our best team? Yeah, and that's the that's the the juggling act. You know what I'm saying? And and that's what these players, honestly, it's not the best for our sport to have them in every event if there's no other developmental. Correct. You know, it's best for the sport almost to have the 22 year olds go to half the events, but that doesn't financially work for uh, the people at the, you know... At the and top. you could say it's not fair to the best players as well. Because it's their livelihood. Exactly. Why aren't you playing World League right now? now and I don't, I don't really need an answer as to the reason, but <laughs> you're not playing World League right now because they're taking younger guys. Because USA Volleyball's job is to not only think about today, but think about tomorrow and four years from now. That's a great point. And those players... Carrie's job is to think about Carrie. Todd's job is to think about Todd. And I don't blame either What's one best of them for, Todd? for thinking of themselves. And can we only agree? Can we can we agree that their maximum is 2016? None of those people are around 2020. Correct. No way. No way. Not if this sport has progressed. Not if the young players have been brought up the way that they're supposed to. There's no way those people are around in 2020. That's one of my complaints with the beach game. Now it has stalled twice. 
where you have players that are hanging on who would not have had the sport continued to progress. They would not be here. No one should be winning a tournament at 42. Don't care who you are. Your sport stalled out. Your sport stalls out for four years. The competition level goes down. That's a problem. I think some of the individual beach volleyball for so long, like as a player, like even when I was around the AVP in 2003 when I started, like you're basically on your own. You have to find your own sponsors. You're flying to the events on your own dime unless sponsors are paying for it or whatever. So they're still like getting out of that mindset of, okay, somebody else is going to help me. But it also restricts it where it's like, okay, maybe I have this coach or I have to go show up to training at this specific time on this specific day. Like you have – it's that give and take, but I think some of them, you're not used to it. Like, yes, the freedom of beach volleyball, like, okay, sure, I'm I'm good, I can get sponsors, I can train when I want, have what coach I want. But not everybody's like that. And like you were saying, too, is it better for the sport down the line? And do we want, you always want your best players to represent your country, but you also have to develop them, too. And that, to Reed's point, where there's not a strong domestic tour at this exact moment, how do you train that next crop, and the only way you do that is if you have USAV that's backing them like that. It is not necessarily the best situation to have people randomly by chance being able to put together the team well enough or the schedule well enough or the finances well enough to get themselves from 22 years old out of college to 27 years old Olympian. Correct. 30-year-old Olympian. It's just pure luck that that's happened anyway. You know, without the support of the AVP. It wouldn't have been possible without the AVP tour happening. Correct. And when Carrie first came on the scene, her and Misty played internationally for a year before they played on the AVP. But Carrie was able to do that because Misty had points from her playing with Holly, who had points who got her on the tour. So they didn't get on it by sheer luck. They got on it because the partners they were playing with had enough points to get them in the tournament. And they were lucky enough to have gotten those partners. Correct. Like last year when Casey Patterson and Doherty were playing together, they couldn't play internationally unless they went to a country quote and stuff like that because they didn't have points. This year, Doherty can get in easier because he's with Todd and same with Casey Patterson. The difference is now USAV is paying for flights, paying for accommodations, paying for those athletes who are being selected to represent the United States at FIVB tournaments. Those expenses are getting taken care of nowadays. That's a different and as, situation. And I'm happy for that because they're representing your country. Right, but some of these players still believe that they're somehow owed their expenses from before. Like, USA Volleyball should have been doing this before. Well, you know, for a long time, the Beach said they didn't want anything to do with USA Volleyball because it was a dysfunctional mess. And yeah. I, I don't necessarily disagree about their assessment of USA Volleyball at that time. Yeah. And they had the AVP. The AVP is better. We don't want you associated with us. Then when the AVP collapsed, what do you think happened? Yeah. Well, they came crawling back in. Not crawling back in. They came stomping back in saying, you owe us money. You owe us money. You are supposed to be supporting us and making our sport. Well, no, you've been telling us for 10 years that you should not be touched by us. We should not be involved in you at all, and you're fine without us. But now that you're not, now you're telling us you you are owed this money. So it's, a, it, it, it's nothing more than people trying to make a living. And yeah. I don't fault them for doing so. What I fault them for doing is is not... Not coming to the table and figuring out how to make it work. Coming with the attitude that they are owed, that they are somehow being mistreated, yeah. or have been the redheaded stepchild and had all this success in spite of the organization before. Yeah. No, you had success because you had another organization before. It wasn't you out there on your own 
at the beach with your five volleyballs, making it happen at an Olympic level. You're out there on the AVP tour. You're out there on the FIVB tour. You're out there with those people from the previous generation, the Hollies, the Karches, the uh, the EYs, the, the other players like that that picked up the younger players and brought them along. That's why you're at that level. I worry about the next Olympic qualifying for beach, and that's why I really wish that they would set in stone now what the qualification is. Because let's say the AVP works out this year and is successful and they're here in the next Olympics, they can be like, well, you have to qualify through us, and they're not sanctioned by USAV at the moment. So that's why... And I don't know the inner workings of all the stuff that's going on in USAV. Maybe they're working on this or whatever, but I would love for them to say this year or next year, here's how you have to qualify. I don't care what else is happening domestically, beach volleyball-wise. I think what has to eventually happen is USAV has to pick a direction and just tell the players, if you'd like to participate that's what I'm in the Olympic Games, you'll show up. If you do not wish to participate, do not show up. Because the leadership has to be taken from these players. We just talked about their concerns are their concerns for their own situation, for their own career, which is no longer than four years right now. That's it. it you, the model is changing worldwide. Brazil has gone to a master coach and a full-time training facility. They are a national indoor team in beach form, 100%. There's a lot of blowback from that that's going on right now. They're picking partners. They're telling players when and where to show up and how to be. That's what's happening with beach. That might be the future. It's not going to be easy. I don't think you're going to see that with the United States right away, but that might be the future. With all the upheaval on the on the professional side, it's a lot more stable than waiting around till August to get a potential paycheck if you happen to qualify for an Well, in four years, in the next Olympics or the Olympics after that, like, are we going to even be talking about Brazil's system? Are players going to be know. complaining about it? You know what I'm saying? That's yeah. what I meant. Like, are they going to be complaining and they're going to be so used to it at that point where it's like, oh, this is just how it is. Change is tough. Yep. Let's get to our next caller. Word up. Change is tough, and change is coming to the U.S. men's national team, and you're going to see it this year under head coach John Spira. I think it's an eight-year job, but he's about a month in to his four years here, and he's brought in a lot of good young talent, and our next guest is one of those players. Graduated Stanford in 2010 after being the national player of the year and defeating Penn State to win a national championship during Penn State's 451st appearance in that title game. He played in Professionally overseas for the last few years, played a couple years with Scott Tuzinski in Germany, and now he's going to embark on the World League with U.S. men this summer. Coming up this week, Kavika Shoji. Welcome in. Kavika. Hey, hey guys. How are you? We're good. We're good. Thanks for uh, thanks for calling in. We know you guys have a full-time day down there. and Just tell us a little bit about that day. What does your daily schedule look like? You're a professional volleyball player from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. or so, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's a busy summer. On Mondays, we're in uh, about 8.30 um, for a morning lift. Then we have a video session at 11, uh, lunch at 12, and then practice uh, setters at 1.30 and practice starts at 2. Get out of there usually between 5 and 6. So Monday, Wednesday, and Friday are, are real busy. How heated is the competition at the setter spot? This seems to be one spot in particular. I mean, obviously so important, but there are a lot of players looking for that one particular spot. How are you guys managing that co-opetition? Yeah, you know, it's always an interesting thing um, in the gym because you're a team, but you're also competing for, for roster spots. Um, you know, but it's good. We got, we got some young guys in. Um, Kyle Caldwell is the youngest guy. I'm next. Ryan Ammerman and Brian Thornton. 
Uh, Brian has some experience with the national team. He he made the Olympics in London. Um, you know, so we're all competing for for two spots to travel, and obviously only one starter. Yeah, now you've had an opportunity to play professionally and now back with the national team. How different are the two environments for you training in, in Germany and being on a professional club in that rhythm versus the national team rhythm? Yeah, that's a great question because, um, you know, there's a lot of differences. The, the USA system is a lot different now, especially with Coach Farrell. We're, we're playing really fast. Um, we run a lot of quick big. Uh, work and and so that those are some things that I'm having to try to work with in the professional season. You kind of have a little more time to get in rhythm with your team. You have a little preseason, and you have you know seven or eight months until the playoffs. We only have a couple of weeks, and then we we have to be match ready um, by next week. You know, in the, the first match of World League, so there's a little bit of adjustment um, and a learning curve. But hopefully, uh, we're adjusting quickly. Hopefully, we're going to be ready by by this uh, Friday. Yeah, by Friday. Hopefully ready by Friday. You mentioned that, and it is Argentina out there in Wichita. How much have you guys talked about the opponents coming up? We've talked a little bit, not not so much yet. I think we're going to really dial it in and focus in when we get to Wichita. Um, yeah, I don't even know if we know exactly who's traveling for them, and I'm sure that they don't know who's traveling for us. So um, There's probably going to be a lot of questions going into Friday's match, but... Um, you know, I think we're all excited to get there, and I think the most important thing is we got to take care of, you know, our side. It sounds cliche, but we, we really do have to worry about how we're playing and not, not so much about the opponent. You know, during my national team career, I was privileged enough to have my brother in there a couple of times, and it was a lot of fun to have him in the national team gym competing. You have your brother in there full-time at this point. How is it having uh, a sibling there on the team? Yeah, you know, it's it's really fun and exciting. Um, Eric's doing really well. He's he's the youngest Libra in the gym. He's learning a lot from Rich uh, Lamborn, who's the the oldest player in the gym. Um, so you know we have a good connection. We play well together. So it's fun to be on the same team, and then also fun to compete against each other when he's across the net. Uh, we can talk a little trash, you know. But at the end of the day, we're all we're all working hard together and trying to make trying to make the roster for Wichita. Uh, so it's an exciting time for our family. Hey, we were just talking about the history of USAV, the idea of the alumni and how much you young guys know, guys just coming out of college or a couple years out of college, really know about the international game and the history of the national teams. What is your awareness level of previous players that have been on that team? You know, honestly, it, it was pretty low, I would say, coming out of college. I, I think it's the, just the, the knowledge of the international game in general is pretty low. Um, with young American players, but as you as you go to Europe, um, you always hear stories. As you go to the national team gym, you're you know you're always seeing old faces and, and hearing more stories. So my, my knowledge has increased. Um, I would say starting in you know with the probably with the 2000 team, I would know most of the faces, um, but not not so much before then. You know you know all the the famous guys, Karch and, and all those guys, but. I wouldn't say I could I could name every single player um, dating back, you know, to the to the early '80s on on every Olympic team. Um, so it's increased, and it's it also with the international players too. You don't hear about too many of the legends when you're when you're on this side of the pond, and then you go over and you you learn a lot, um, which has been really nice. Obviously, I, I know a little bit more also about the beach scene because there's a lot of Hawaii players that have played on the old AVP. I uh, played a lot with Stein and Lambo and 
and the Wongs and, and Lila Grand. So some of those guys are really familiar to me. But um, it, it's been a learning curve in that regard also with the indoor game. Yeah, Puno Ma'a and so on. You guys have uh, quite a, a good history out there in Hawaii. And uh, mm-hmm. a, a guy, you mentioned learning about some of those players overseas, and, and you start hearing about some of those names, the Gardinis, the Grovinas, the, the the guys from Italy. Is, is there one guy that, that you didn't know much about that when you when you started to learn about, you learned something, a foreign-born player? Um. Well, you know how uh, I think it's Bernardi that everyone says, yeah. In Europe is the best player of all time, you know, from Italy. And and honestly, I had no idea who Bernardi was um going over there a few years ago. Um but he's regarded as, you know, if Karch is 1A, maybe Bernardi's 1B. You know, a lot of Europeans will say Bernardi's 1A and Karch is 1B, so Oh yeah. Um yeah, he's a guy that that I've learned about in the last couple of years that is one that's, you know, regarded as one of the best of all time. All right, you don't have a, a tremendous uh, or didn't have a tremendous knowledge of the sport uh, externally in college, but perhaps you live with someone that's seen a few volleyball matches over the years. Your dad, Dave, showed you a thousand plus wins mm-hmm. for Hawaii. How much have you talked to him about your national team experience or gotten advice from him as your career has moved on from college and beyond? Yeah, a lot. He, he's well. He's a big fan, you know. So he's really interested in how Eric and I are doing, and and the whole team. And he's always watching the games. And but um, you know, in general, he's just always reminding us that it's about the process. You know, everyone has their ups and downs. Everyone has their rookie moments, especially when you you get to the you know the the travel rosters of World League. And so he's constantly reminding us, you know, to keep things in perspective. You know, we're gonna make our mistakes, but um, you know, learn from them. And uh, you know, and, and always kind of push forward. I think that's really important. It's easy to get down when you make make a lot of mistakes early in your career, um, especially with the USA team. But you have to realize that a lot of the you know the successful players made those mistakes too when they were young. So uh, yeah, I think he just helps keep things in perspective. All right, Kavika, we know you don't have a lot of time. We're going to get you out of here on this. Give me three words to describe the young talent we're going to see here in Worldly. Give people just three adjectives for what they can expect okay. to see this summer. Young, exciting, and um, uh, handsome. Those are three <laughs> great words to describe the, uh, the young guys coming, uh, coming to Wichita. All right, we can get a show of handsome in Wichita this weekend with Kavika Shoji and the U.S. men's national team. Kavika, thanks so much for spending a little time with us. We look forward to watching you play this summer. No problem. Thanks, guys. All right, Kavika Shoji checking in from the middle of his day down there with the national team, and it is a full-time job right now for those guys. Training, lunch, setters, training, sleep. Yeah. That's pretty much what I read. And back to training. Like I said, you couldn't do... That job, you, the random guy out there slogging it out in your... I thought you were talking to me. I was going to be very upset. No, I'm talking to the office drones. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, my God. I got a text. I think this might be the wrong phone. It says it says it's from a guy named Chris McGee. I'll be in next week, bud. Is that... Did he have the right number? I'm, I'm surprised you still have his number in your phone. Uh, yeah, I think that's Chris McGee. Maybe it's a different Chris McGee here. It can't be the Chris McGee. Chris does it McGee. say Chris McGee or does it say Geeter in your phone? Because those are two different people now. It does not say Geeter, so that might be the other Chris McGee. Interesting. Yeah. Well, well, I don't know why together. that guy will be here. I think he's a concrete contractor. Maybe he'll be here to put in my patio next week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. 
Uh, yeah, Kavika showed you. I I had a opportunity to catch up with him a bit in in interviews this week too, and it's uh it's fun to hear from the young guys their enthusiasm for it. It's a good time to be a member of the national team. Mentioned '97 not being a good time to be a member of the national team and the mess that that USA volleyball was at that time. I think USA volleyball has been going a good direction. That national team, obviously, the gold medal in '08 uh, and nearly entering the medal round in 2012. Uh, the training situation down there at the ASC, the support network that they're surrounded by, the women's team being nearby uh, right there. I, I think that there there has rarely been a better time to be on the men's national team. And I don't want some old guy calling and telling me about the federal building in uh, in Balboa Park in San Diego. That building sucked. Your program was not as good as it is now, period. That's the federal funny. building sucked. Don't. I've been in the Felder building. I tried out in the Felder building. The lighting was terrible. The building was small. The ceiling was low, and there's no court space. Plus, you had to share it with, like, the drunks and the homeless folks there in Balboa Park. So, no, Felder building sucked. Colorado Springs, okay. Altitude, terrible. This current training situation, A+. Plus. I like that. And let's be clear um, to some of our fans who uh, are curious if we are bashing ever on USAV. We're not, ever. I've never, I, I've Again, just, we discuss the facts here exactly. and have some opinions, but it's it, we want to see the best for everybody here. That's the idea. And to be honest with you, I think – I mean, I, they do as well. Yes. Everybody wants what's best for the sport. Everybody may not agree on that, what right. the best thing for the sport is. Right. I want what's best for the sport. I'll tell you that right now. No, I, I, I have fought USAV tooth and nail as a young man, and I think USAV is going a direction today that is positive for the sport. I know some people disagree with me, and that's okay. <laughs> but I think that they are doing things today that are going in a positive direction. I think Doug Beal, uh, I had my disagreements with him as a, a player and a coach relationship. Um, I've come to understand Doug better as I've gotten older. I don't agree with everything that Doug has to say, but I think that the things that he's doing as CEO and his tenure as CEO of USA Volleyball has been uh, has produced incredibly positive growth to the mm-hmm. budget, the programming, the financial and uh, financial health and visibility of USA Volleyball. You Period. You cannot deny that. Yeah. And didn't you say their like budget has grown like tenfold since he started? Something like that. Yeah. It's not I mean it's not ten, maybe it's six or but five. It's it's as it's long as it's more. Exponential. Yeah. I like when he's on the show and you ask him a question about you or somebody else asks him a question about your playing time with him. <laughs> it's Doug, favorite thing. Doug pauses for a moment and then says something very, very at least somewhat nice about you. If you wanted to uh, get a side out, <laughs> if you wanted someone to spike a ball, I was your guy. Yeah. If you wanted me to be a good teammate or like uh, go hang out later and go for some drinks, I was. You not weren't your that guy. guy. No. I like no. That. I've I've grown into being a much better <laughs> guy than just uh, me spike ball. What's up, guy? Yeah. yeah. So you would have been really good in Japan or Korea. Just. Blasting balls in practice. Yeah, completely out of my element, just blasting <laughs> balls. They, I don't know why they never hired me there. That was a mistake on their part. That's but, funny. You know, and, and I, we talk about the support that I'd like to see from different uh, organizations or from alumni or that kind of thing. And that's why I always preface it with you got to get the young players to buy in because I don't think I would have bought in as a young player and just because I was <laughs> stupid. Well, yeah, some of it is. And immature. Age, yeah. I mean, like Loy. I, I, I think Loy was going through his own uh, – problems at the time but had i drawn on loy yeah had i sought him out to say hey loy i want to be better at this job you've been here a long time tell me about your experiences had i sought loy out that way i think i would have found someone that would have helped me 
Gotcha. Um, I think Tom Hoff sought Loy out that way a little bit. I know that Clay Stanley, when he came to the team, used Tom Hoff that way. Uh, I think that's a valuable thing to do. I I did not do that. It wasn't in my personality at the time. Yeah. Uh, it's in my personality now with my broadcasting stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. I've I've got a plan to stalk uh, Bob Costas. Nice. Hatching a plan to find Bob Costas. You stalking Bob Reed, stalking Dan Patrick. There you go. I actually stalked Dan Patrick for Reed. Yeah. Caught him coming out of the bathroom. Anyways. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't think I was really open to that at the time, and I should have been. Sometimes age has a lot to do with that with some people. It does, and I think the organization can force it a bit too. But could. like, yeah, they could. But like anything, could. if you're not open to it, it doesn't. They could have been like, Loy, you and Kevin, Kevin's your little buddy. Everywhere you go, Kevin has to go with you, and you could have fought that tooth and nail, and you may not have taken anything from that situation. It would take a special commitment on the part of the older player, too, to Correct. do that. Yep. Uh, yeah, and, I, and they did some of that stuff to me. They sent me to Utah with Lambert. Lambo. Uh, and I remember that trip, and 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 I remember that trip fondly for a few reasons, but I think that was one of those things, that it was it was less about the volleyball and more about getting me out of the Springs and getting me into another situation and with a different coach and and Carl, and I, I, I kind of fought Carl a little bit here and there, but I, I tell you, when Carl came to the gym in 03, mm-hmm. and I started passing with him, I, I thought Carl made a big difference for me. Somehow, you know, Carl got to me at the right time at that point. You were open to it. Yeah, because I, I, I had changed already. I mean, I'd been through fighting through injury, and I had a kid and another one on the way, and there was a lot more maturity to me. And then I was open to what other people had to say, what Carl had to say, and I, I think it helped me a lot. Um, but... The organization has to keep trying to force that, and you're right. Unless I, as the young guy, yeah. they can am force on board, it all they want. It you won't have matter. To be down with it. Yeah, if I just keep being stupid, then it's not going to change. Um, FIVB officially coming to Long Beach. Matt Garhoff's backyard, I think, is where the tournament's being held. Literally in his backyard. Literally. <laughs> the players' tent will be in Matt in Garhoff's Matt. backyard. Yeah. They will then have a shuttle down to the event. They will all have giant. Fat heads to carry to their courts with him. <laughs> <laughs> I want to line up. I want Gardhoff to recruit some friends to make fat heads as well and see if they can get all the American fat heads to ring the arena. That would be awesome. Go and put them all up along the top of the stands. Every American in a huge fat head. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. That would be something. That would be nationalism right there. That would give you a Brazilian-type atmosphere in American version. They're planning a lot of big things for this event, and we will have somebody from... The World Series Cup, which is what it's being called domestically. It's the FIVB World Tour. World Series of Volleyball or World July Series July 22nd through 28th, World Series Cup, USA versus the World, Long Beach Grand Slam, presented by ASICS. July 22 through 28th. Correct. Okay. I will be around. I believe I can be Four there. and six-man tournaments, Actually, plus live music and world-class DJs, according to their site. Now, you can read into that world-class DJ all you want to see whether or not DJ Rouché will be there or not. <laughs> I'm just waiting for you to get as big as Daft Punk or even Samantha Ronson. Let's A, point this out. Samantha Ronson has opened for me at a club, and B, Daft Punk are not DJs. I thought they were considered DJs. No. They would not. Someone referred to them this weekend as like two of the, as like the highest paid DJs, some of the highest paid DJs in the world. They're not DJs. They've never been DJs. They would not claim to be DJs. Don't they function that way at raves? What does that mean? Or big festivals? What does that mean to you? 
What does that mean to me? It means they're up on stage spinning records and shooting lasers. They are not spinning one. I know it's not record. a record. I know. They're not spinning one record. They're not spinning. They've never spun anything ever at all. So they're just ever. artists. They are performing music. their own stuff. They are a, musicians. In a DJ motif? No. They are musicians and they perform their music electronically through computers, through synthesizers. They're playing a lot of stuff live on stage. You just can't necessarily see it because of their pyramid. But they are not DJs. <laughs> Seriously, they they perform. Their last tour was I in a pyramid. A, a deaf punk show. Was, their literal stage was a pyramid. Okay, but do 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 they honor DJs a little bit with the way they set up their stuff? Is that maybe no, why they that were happens? before this whole? I would not put them in the what everybody's calling the EDM scene, which is electronic dance music scene. They are not that, and where that's where some people are a little disappointed in this current album because it's not a Tiesto, Calvin Harris album. Okay, and that, but that's never been what. Daft Punk. Look up Tiesto and Calvin Harris for you right now. You know Tiesto and you know Calvin Harris. <laughs> you may not, Kevin. You as in the general public, yes, not you, you as in Kevin. Kevin. <laughs> do not know anything I'm talking about, that's for sure. Um, no, they are not DJs. They wouldn't call themselves DJs. Other DJs who they are friends with do not call them DJs. And they are. They do get thrown into those lists mm-hmm. because people don't know any better. Okay. Love the album. Been listening to it more and more. Bought it on the way, uh, where was I going? To Louisville. So I had 24 hours to listen to it. But uh, Doing It Right, great song. Yep. Of course, the one that's getting a lot of play is, uh, what, Up All Night? No, what is it called? Get Lucky. Get Lucky. Thank you. Yeah. That's uh, it's, it's an interesting album. There's some wild stuff on it. You're going to have to get used to it. Not going to not gonna be right out there. What else is good in the music world here, Jeremy? What else should people be listening to and checking out? iTunesing. Um. Well, like I said earlier, there's a Bob Marley remix album coming out of the Legends album. They're remixing all the songs from that. I have um, I haven't really been listening to radio lately because I know I'm a DJ, but I don't listen to radio because it bothers me. <laughs> um, but there is an artist. His name is Chris Shaw, who me and my production partner produced an EP for him. It will be out July 2nd. The name of the album is called Geeks, Freaks, and Weirdos. You can look up Chris Shaw on Facebook. I am Chris Shaw. You're Chris Shaw? I am not. That's what his Facebook thing is. Oh, <laughs> just to be clear. Yeah, he is you, an artist. not Chris Shaw. Me and my production partner as the Suicide Doors executive produced his EP. Okay. Coming out July 2nd. Tomorrow there will be a little promotional video on his Facebook page that will explain a little bit more. Okay. So, yeah, you can be looking out for that, Kevin. How about that? All right. I like that. People can check it out. The new Major Laser album is really good. The Great Gatsby soundtrack is pretty good. John Fogarty's got a new album out. He looks really old. Nobody cares about John Fogarty. I don't know. He's in the front of iTunes. Still nobody cares. <laughs> um, but yes, the big question about FIVB, I know it's not the biggest question, but people are asking me if I'll be there, if we'll be there. Um, you'll just have to wait to find out. I'll be able to confirm or deny that pretty soon. <laughs> well, at least people are still asking. That's uh, that's a good thing. People are still asking about the sport, care about the sport, care about the athletes. Correct. And maybe once in a while, bother to listen to this crummy little program. Well, look, this event, they're they're attaching a four-man and six-man tournaments to this event. And when they're talking live music, they're trying to they're looking to book bands that are to perform on a stage, uh, from what looks like a legitimate stage. Um, at the end of each tournament day, I think Thursday through Sunday. So it's gonna it's it's more I would think of it more festival driven. You think of a festival, yeah. um, 
but it's obviously centered around the international event, which I think is hey. going to help a lot because it is an international event. You could do a festival. I think it would be hard just to do a festival with domestic players, even if you had all the best ones. But if you have the best in the world coming to Long Beach, and for all of you who are concerned, yes, you can serve alcohol on the beach in Long Beach. That's why they're there. That's why they're there. This is the work of Leonard Armato. And, uh, you know, some people have no love lost for Leonard. I've had my own deep contact with Leonard. Uh, I don't really have an opinion on Leonard one way or the other other than to look at Leonard's uh, business business dealings. Mm-hmm. And you cannot say that Leonard Armato has failed. You cannot say that he hasn't been innovative and creative in what he's done in the world of sports, sport agency, and sport production. From starting the AVP to bringing the AVP back to being Shaq's agent to all the things that he's done. Uh, you you can argue up and down if you like him or don't like him or like some of his decisions or don't like him, but I think the man's been quite a success. He was the one responsible, or his team, whatever, was responsible for adding the women and the men together when he bought the AVP back in 2001, 2002, whatever year it was. Yeah. Um, which was a big deal. But then that's where I have to remind people when they're talking about, oh, prize money... Players made more money back in the day. Yes, because it was just men. So now you may have the same prize money, but it's split between two genders. That's a good point. Uh, I, I think Leonard... Gold. And that's not a knock on anything. I just want to let people know those beach volleyball was better when you had side-out rules in the 90s. And yes, yeah. you had five teams, and it was only the male gender. Yeah, I'm kind of tired of things being the good old days. Uh, <laughs> I watched the Office finale yesterday. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, I thought was very well done. I, I don't know if fans of The Office out there. I haven't watched the last two seasons of The Office. I kind of fell off. Mm-hmm. I need to go back and watch them because I, I was confused as to why everyone was gone and where people were and stuff and some of the storylines. But um, I, I thought it was a great finale. I thought it was funny. They they brought Michael back, Michael, uh, Steve Carell, yeah. as Michael Scott. He was back, and the first thing he said was, that was she, that's what she said. Nice. Which was, which was awesome. Uh, but... <clears throat> Andy, the character of Andy, uh, kind of made a comment at the end. There, somebody just saying, "Hey, you know, it'd be nice to know the good old days are the good old days when you're in them." Correct. There's always this nostalgia for the past that somehow the past was better, and you forget about all the bad stuff. And you, you hear that in walks of life everywhere, and you keep hearing that in the volleyball world. Oh, back then. No. How about now? Pretty darn good time to be an indoor volleyball player, men's mm-hmm. or women's. Pretty pretty darn good time. Um, not a good time to be a beach volleyball player. A tough time, unless you're one of five people or six people. Uh, but uh, Well, my argument with that, too, is if back then was so successful, why would we have changed? Yeah, where did it go? Why hasn't it come to today? You may have liked why, it better back then. Why are we building on it? Right? Yeah. Why aren't we looking back like the NBA does and go, well, they were making $13,000 in 1968. Mm-hmm. Now we're making $13 million. Yeah. Well, in beach volleyball back in 1979, you weren't getting paid at all. Mid, mid to late 80s, you were getting paid a million dollars. Mm-hmm. Now you're not getting paid at all. <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't know. Keep it in perspective. <clears throat> yeah. But uh, I guess try and take history and learn from it. But, you know. I, I don't know where we are with that, but I, I don't want to hear about the good old days. I want to hear about what can be done now. I don't want to hear about how it sucked five years ago, how you owed money from five years ago. How you're, everyone in the sport of volleyball is owed money. I'm owed money from Italy. <laughs> what? 
I'm owed, I'm owed money from Italy. I'm owed money from other places. <laughs> you're never, ever going to see that money. No, you're not. And if you're going to be bitter about it for the rest of your life, well, that's not going to help you. It's not going to help sport. It's not going to help anything. Uh, you got to figure out a way to, to affect change. And you, you're the only one who can do that. Correct. So uh, I want to say thanks to Lauren Fendrick for coming on the show, Kavika Shoji for calling in, Cam Kerr for calling in. Uh, as always, everyone there on the chat board for chiming in, having your own conversations sometimes. It's uh, fun to have you guys here listening live. And thanks to everyone who listens via iTunes. We are working on a couple of initiatives here. I think you'll see some changes within the show this summer. We will have a show next Monday. Correct. Then we, we will be off for a week because people are not here. And then we will be back for the following two weeks, although Jeremy will not be here. But I think Reed's going to be in the office more often. Should we not tell people that because then they may not tune in? That I'm not going to be here. That you're not here. Because you're like, ugh, the good, dialogue good great, point. but the music is going to be awful. Jeremy will be here. <laughs> Jeremy will, will never miss a show uh, until you tune in and he's not here. But get out if you're near Wichita, get out this weekend. If you're near Tulsa, get out the following weekend. And then remember, Reno is coming up. Reno is coming up the last weekend in June. There are five weekends in June. That's a lot. So, that's I a lot. People, I hope people show up. So last weekend in June, is opportunity to see these young players, uh, opportunity to uh, interact with these guys, and uh, keep keep your eyes open for the women's team as they begin their season. It starts a little bit slower. I saw the Montreux Volley Masters already happen, but I don't think the U.S. really participated in that. They have 30 women right now in the gym down there. And mark my words, right now, Kristen Richards is going to have a great season, I think. Because she's been great in practice. I like her arm swing. I just like her mechanics. Okay. I think those mechanics are going to work. She's from where? Uh, where is Kristen from? Where is she graduated from? I need to do some Stanford, more. I think. I need to do some more research on the women's team. That's my fault. Yeah, I, I think – well, you're going to see a lot of new names on the women's team too, I think, in the first couple of years. But I like what Kristen Richards is awesome. doing. So uh, keep that in mind. That's it. We're going to we're gonna have some other guests coming up. We're going to have Sinjin Smith sitting in at some point here this summer. We're going to have Hugh McCutcheon calling in uh, shortly. We've talked to them. We'll also have uh, – Jake Spiker-Gibb soon. Jake Spiker-Gibb. Uh, as well as other guests coming in to inform you about the world of volleyball. Jeremy, as usual, it's just you and I left. Just you Dustin and I. had to leave. Reed showed up late, left early. Left his headphones through magazines <laughs> all over my couch. So that's so we couldn't pepper him with questions off air after the show's over. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, all right, thanks for listening. We will see you next week here on The Net Live. Remember, get us via iTunes for free, or you can stream it off the Volleyball Mag website. Thanks to the ABCA and Volleyball Mag for their undying support of this program. We'll talk to you next week. Way back. Back into time.